tonight for your Labor Day weekend entertainment, the absolute, and we do mean absolute best of Art Bell. We raided our archives for some definitive Art Bell gems and came up with one heck of a show. Even we can't believe it. Coming up this hour, we start off with a doozy from February 21st of this year. It's Mel's Hole, the fascinating story of the man from Washington State and the bottomless hole he found in his backyard. Stay tuned for hour number two when we treat you to a replay of the Jimmy Joe call from the airspace over Area 51, an absolute classic. Art Bell returns to Coast to Coast this Monday night, Tuesday morning. And now, the absolute best of Art Bell. Well, all right. I have got Mel on the line. No thanks to all the Mel imitators on the special Mel line. I finally picked up the phone during the newscast and called Mel's number, and he was just coming in. So I've got Mel on the line. Mel's the guy with the never-ending hole, and uh, we're going to ask him about it here in a moment. Uh, I have read that fax now twice on the air, and I've got a lot of follow-up faxes. Here's one entitled, Yet Another Mystery Hole in Eastern Washington. Art, you'll love this. It was sent to me a couple of days ago by email, and it's all about uh, another one on the Indian Reservation in Colville, where there is another mystery hole. Anyway, we'll get to that. Now to Eastern Washington. I guess this is Eastern Washington. Mel, are you there? Yes, I am. Uh, first of all, Mel, thank you for answering. What are you doing up at this time of the morning? Well, after I sent the facts, I'm uh, I'm living in town here now because. Uh, we had a couple of our buildings out there cave in after the big snows that we had out here last month. Oh yes, and so uh, <coughs> there, there, thereby goes some of the uh, construction debris into the hole. So, uh, all right. Uh, when uh, did you discover this hole? Well, the hole, the hole has always been there. We've been out there for a couple of years now, and uh, you know, the hole has been there since we've been there. It's been there since the previous owner was there, and the previous owner there was quite elderly. And I, I'd say he was there for a good 30, 40 years before we moved in. Wow. And then, uh. And so there's been a thing of throwing stuff down this hole for a long, oh, yeah, long it's, time. Oh, yeah. It's been, it's been going on, you know, as, as, for as long as the hole has been there, I assume. When nobody knows that, I guess. All right. Uh, how do you pronounce the name of your town, Manastash? Uh, oh, Manastash. Manastash. Right. Oh, that's yeah. right. Thank you. Uh, and, uh, actually I'm in, uh, uh, Right now, I'm in a little town called Ellensburg. Oh, I know Ellensburg. All right. Ah, you must know about a rodeo here, then. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, so uh, yeah, we've been there for several years, and you know, we we just take all you know, we take all of our uh, trash, rubbish, anything we have that we have to get rid of, we take it, throw it in the hole. Everyone's throwing their stuff in the hole. The people from around there throw all the stuff in the hole. I mean, it's just been going on for a long time. Well. You know, I you know I got this thinking one day. How come this hole is not filling up? It must be an awfully deep hole. That's a good thing to consider. Sure, as you throw stuff in it for decades, literally. And so, you know, I used to be a, uh, uh, well, I would say pretty close to a professional shark fisherman. So I had a couple of huge uh, uh, fishing reels. Went out there and uh, started <laughs> letting the line down. I figure after one. Uh, Did you wait the line? Oh yeah, there, there's, there's. In fact, the original line is still down there. I've just been adding to the line and keeping track of how much line I have used. So I've not uh, reeled it in. Uh, how much weight is on it? There, there's a one pound weight at the bottom of it. One pound weight. All one right. pound weight. It's a triangular uh, one pound weight. Okay. Uh, and so that's at the bottom of it. At first. So in other words, it would go down kind of like a plumb bob. 
Exactly, exactly. In fact, I have a rig across the center of it there, and it goes, you know, goes straight down from the center there. And occasionally I try to move the line there, but when you're moving that much line, you really can't do a whole lot with it. But it seems to, you know, there seems to be, it's not resting again against anything at this point here, and it continues to go down freely. And so when I was out there earlier, I let out a little bit more line. <laughs> and uh, So you actually went out there tonight after I read this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Well, well, you know, it's uh, not too bad out here right now. It's in the about... Uh, 25 degrees, so it's not too cold. Have you ever heard anything coming from any sounds or anything? Um, well, you know, I mean, the normal thing to do is kind of, like, yell into it there, to, you know, to see an echo, and I've never heard an echo come out of that thing. No echo. At all. Uh, you know, that's one of the first things I noticed about it. Um, as usual, I brought the dogs with me. Uh, they wouldn't go anywhere near the damn thing, and... Uh, I went back to the suburban and <laughs> hung out over there, so <laughs> it was kind of uh, uh, I, I can't, I, you know, if I try to bring them there on a leash, they'll just dig their feet, and they do not want to go anywhere near the hole. Uh, and so that's, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, well, you've got miles and miles of... Uh... Yeah, I, I think, uh, well, I, I'm going, I'm, me I'm measuring it by feet. You know, I convert feet to yards, so I don't know sure. how many miles that is. I assume that's, it's... Uh, a fair number of miles, though. Well, five thousand two hundred eighty feet uh, is a mile. So you got you, you really think you've got eighty thousand? Yes. Yeah, I, I uh, get uh, line in five thousand yard spools, and so I'm <laughs> I've gone through that many. Well, uh, you have got a hole then that goes. Well, you know, you can't say to the center of the earth, but you've got a hole that goes miles and miles and miles into the earth. I would think a university would be out there, boom, just like that. Well, uh, my wife does work for the, a local university here, and, you know, we've been talking to them about it. And one of the things is uh, uh, <laughs> they find it quite incredible that I've let that much line into the ground, but uh, that's what I've been doing. Um, Have you ever thought of winding it all back up again? Well, when I let out the first 1,500 yards uh, of line, I reeled all of that back in. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to know uh, if I had hit water down there because I thought that, that's a lot of that's a lot of feet. You bet. Uh, you know, that's uh, 4,500 feet of of uh, line. Did I hit water? So I, I uh, did. Uh, what I did is I sent down a roll of lifesavers. Lifesavers? Uh, yeah, so when it hits the water, the, the lifesavers will dissolve. That's true. Oh, I see. So very smart. So yeah, it's an old shark fisherman's trick there. We used to we used to send our bait out on a balloon attached to a roll of lifesavers, and the bait would go out into the ocean on the tide. Yeah. And then eventually the lifesavers would melt, and the shark, the bait would fall to the uh, to the bottom. <laughs> so, you know, you couldn't cast the big old mackerel out there that far. Oh, so that's amazing. So. What do you, you got any guesses? Uh, I don't, I, I, I have, I have no idea. I thought it could have been, I could have been a mine shaft, but the, the thing about it is the, uh, surface part of it's been very well cared for. I mean, someone built a very lovely, uh, wall around it. And, uh. Alright, tell me about the nature of the side of the walls. In other words, you must be able to look down far enough at least to ex examine the side of the wall. Sure. It, it's stone for about 15 feet down. Yeah. 
and then after that it uh you know it's it's um you know soil dirt uh and then you know further down rock you know so but i i can only see to the extent of uh you know really powerful flashlight i brought halogen lights out there to try to get a better look down there but the visibility really isn't there you cannot see much after a while but it's uh you know it's a it's a retaining wall i'd say it's about a three three and a half foot retaining wall and it goes down about 15 feet and then it's uh, well i'll tell you this much um no matter how powerful a light and i was even thinking about a laser uh when you're talking about eighty thousand feet forget it no i i they should have some technology that can give me an idea of how deep this thing is. I mean, obviously, the, uh, the old fishing line method is only going to go so far. What we need here is a volunteer. <laughs> Real, I'm serious. Somebody who would be willing to be lowered in, in, into this hole. Um, well, I, I don't, you know, to be honest with you, I don't even know if there's any air down that far. I mean, I, I, well, I, I wouldn't know about that either. Or, yeah, that's you know, what true. kind of pressures we're dealing with. I, you know, these are things that, you know, are totally beyond my, uh, my grasp in terms of, you know, knowledge about these things. But, uh, do you own this property? It's our property, yeah. Uh huh. Um, how long have you been working on this? Well, we, we've been out there for a couple of years. I said about four years now, but, uh, um, this project here with letting down the line, that's only been, uh, since last summer here, and it was just, last you know, summer. I said, well, how come this thing isn't filling up? Well, sure. And, um, you know, I made, you know, I talked to the neighbors around there, you know, which are, you know, on, on, you know, when you're out there in the country, your neighbors are pretty far away, but they all know the hole out there. They all know about it. So it's well, like, yeah, because they all bring their trash out there. So the local legend of, of the hole. Yeah. I, uh, uh, this, this could be an apocryphal story, but one guy claims that he threw his, uh, departed canine down into the hole oh really and uh he swear well the story is the guy that did it swears the the dog actually came back to him and uh he was really he was a hunter the story is that he was a hunter and he was out there hunting hunting and he saw the same dog he had the same collar he had the same little uh what is a little metal thing on his collar there and uh he said it was the same dog and he says he knew he threw the dog into the hole but well, that, no. that's that's not you know that's not my dog <laughs> that's not my it's you not know. your story but it's it's uh, a story of a resurrected dog yeah um th- this is um you know as you can well imagine this is all um uh, uh, native american land around here and yeah, so one yeah, of the lines yeah. of inquiries i'd like to make is you know uh is there anything about this hole in regards to the native americans um you know that's that's something I haven't really pursued right now. But uh, if you had a fatal disease, Mel, yeah, would you jump in the hole? I would. You would? Uh, Just based actually, on the dog actually, story, it or? is in my will. What should I meet my demise that, that you would be thrown in the hole, disposed of into the well? I'm yeah. not sure the health department would allow that. Well, um, you know, one one of the things that we, you know, I I thought about later on was, what what if this is like contaminating our water? You know. And, um, you know, we've had, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure you do this out there in Pahrump, too. Well, you no have your person, water checked all the time. Well, yeah, no personal offense to you, Mel, but if there was a possible contamination problem, um, I'm sure you're a clean guy. Yeah. But, you know, as you deteriorated, you would possibly produce E. coli or something horrible in the local water supply. 
Well, well, again, so far it hasn't. If, you if know, you there is, I mean, the, the water around that area is absolute, absolutely pure water. It is, uh, you know. Um, and so nothing thrown down, all the old junk and trash, no. and nothing has polluted the water. No, I mean, I mean, you know, I, I can't, I can't speak for everything that's been thrown down there, but uh, so you know, none of that has been showing up in the water that people draw from their wells. I mean, you know, the water's as as clean as it's ever been out there. I think we get uh, uh, water that comes off the Cascades or something. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just really great. It's really wonderful water. We'll Mel, it, but... Mel, you wouldn't be pulling my leg. No, I'm not. And uh, um, I'm uh, one one of the reasons that I um, uh, went out to the property tonight. Other than it just you know it's something that weighs heavily on my mind. I was afraid that after I sent the facts out. Uh, that there would be people around there because it's... Uh, well, there may be, but we have not identified specifically where it is. Well, there aren't, as far as I could tell, too many big holes like that <laughs> around. And so at least the people in my neck of the woods are familiar with it. And, I, you know, I kind of almost expect to see a small party of people. Well, there may be. Now, I mean, you know, come daylight... There may yeah. be, uh, but remember, folks, this is private property. This is Mel's this home. Is pri it is posted, too. Oh, it is. All right. Is, well, yeah, there so, you are. Uh, so without knowing exactly where it is, I, I wouldn't look for that to occur, but there is going to be substantial curiosity about it now, Mel. Well, you know, I think I've, uh, you know, let you know as much as I I, um, I know about it. I, I, I certainly want to find out more. I'm, I'm mostly curious. I was mostly curious about the depth of it. I mean, how deep is the deepest hole anyone has ever found? Well, I, I've never heard of anything deeper than this. You know, I, I thought maybe this would be like Guinness World Book of Records type uh, type hole here. Um, and uh, as the as far as um, you know, things I thought it would be like. Could have been like an old mine. Well, now uh, here's a couple things to think about. I've heard as you go down into the earth mill that it gets hotter. Ooh. Right? So yes. you would think that your fishing line with a weight on it at some point would melt or, you know, something, but, but there's still weight on it, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, the, the line is not moving freely. I mean, you know, it, it, it still falls under its own weight. Oh, that's amazing. Let's let some of the audience ask you questions. Okay, I, uh, I think I can do that. All right, because I just might be missing something. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel, who's got the hole in Washington. Hello. Hello. Do you have any questions for Mel? Hello? Okay, well, I, I guess that guy gave up. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel. Hello. Hello. Oh, you got a you got a guest now? I did well. I mean, sorta. Oh, well, I, I was I was calling about something else. All right. Well, thank you. First time caller line. You're on the air with Mel. Hello. Mel. Yes, Mel. Oh, oh, Mel, Mel, Mel. I wanted to talk to Art. Uh, I'm this, on the wrong line. Yeah, you are. I'm sorry. That's the two 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 line. Um, one two 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 is first time caller line. That's what I thought I was calling. Well, that's what you got. But I'm, I mean, we're talking with Mel right now. I'm trying to, he's a guy with the, the hole in East, Eastern Washington. Okay. Okay. I just have something for Art. All right. Mel. Well, call me back when we're, we're in the open lines. Wildcard line, you're on the air with Mel. Hello. Hi, Art. This is Dave in Milwaukee. Hi, Dave. Hey, I was listening to this. Very interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, I just wanted to let you know, I looked up an encyclopedia and the Marianas Trench, which is the deepest hole we know about. That's in the ocean, right? Right. It's 36,000 feet deep. So this is 
Well, uh, certainly over double that already. Right. And it also says, undermining, that with current technology, we can only go down about 1,600 feet. Wow. Wow. That's great. That is great. So So you've you've got something here that already qualifies for Guinness. That is wonderful. Oh, gosh, I, I like that. That's great. Did you said sixteen hundred feet? That's what they said. Yeah, sixteen hundred forty <sighs> feet. It says with current technology is about. Wow! All right, all right. Uh, thank you very much for that information. So already, we now learn that you may have a Guinness qualifying hole there. No question about it. Gee. But I want to know. I inquiring minds want to know. I would think even if we just had somebody lowered past the sixteen hundred foot mark to see what's down there. That would that would be cool, but it wouldn't be me. You wouldn't do it. I, w- <laughs> I wouldn't go down and at least not while you're still alive. No, right? no, yeah, I, then I will. You know, but I mean, you know, for the time being, no. I understand. All right, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with what Mel. If, what if the rope broke? Uh, yeah. Well, that's true. Mel. Mel yeah, and I. Where are you calling from, sir? Um, I'm in Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. All right. Yeah, you mentioned earlier um, that um, you. Uh, would like somebody to be lowered down into the hole. That's right. I, I would be willing to do that. See, there you go, sir, a volunteer. We've um, got a volunteer. I mean, obviously under certain conditions. Like what? Um, just a cage, for one. A cage? Yeah, just in the event that uh, there's some kind of weird subterranean thing eating all of this garbage down there. Obviously, I would want to be in some kind of a cage. Well, and, uh, what makes you think, though, that anything that could gobble up Say a refrigerator uh-huh. would... wouldn't get the cage. Well, I would have a obviously a very powerful light, and I'd be able to see it at some point before it's too late. So I'm we'd sure. have radio contact with you, and we could hear you scream at least. Yeah, yeah. Not, not too much. Or like an Jaws. instant up button. An That's up button. An instant up button. <laughs> On back up. You know, at like a high speed. And you could take a camera with you. Yeah. Yeah. With a light and show us everything as it yeah I um I've got a I've got a pretty adventurous nature to me anyway um so this um plus I have a uh, a very appealing draw to the supernatural for some reason anyway just naturally in my personality well nobody's saying there's anything supernatural about this but well the the dog story would indicate something supernatural well that's true um well my uh, everyone's dogs are scared of the hole. Yeah. It's not just my dogs. No, that's a very dogs. good point. In other words, yeah, other, other dogs won't go anywhere near the hole, huh? Yeah, my, my dogs will follow me everywhere. I mean, you know, no matter where I go, they're, you know... Except? Except to the well. Uh-huh. Now, you um, call is, it, this, is this possibly at a grid point on the planet? Uh, I, I wouldn't know about grid points, uh... Other than I, Art, I know they know exist. anything about the grid points? I, well, I, well, I know. I've, yes, thank you, sir, from Austin. I've heard about grid points, but I would have no way of knowing where they are and whether this is one of them. I wouldn't know. Now, this is just a hole, and he's right. There is something a little paranormal about it when you consider the dog story. I, I tell you, um, Mel, hold on, all right? Mm-hmm. S- stand by. We'll be right back to you. You're concerned about my happiness But all that thought you're giving me is conscious, I guess If I were walking in your shoes, I wouldn't worry enough Are you now friends who worry about me? I'm having lots of fun Counting flowers on the 
This is CBC. Playing solitaire till dawn with the deck of 51. Smoking cigarettes and watching Captain Kangaroo. Now don't tell me I've nothing to do. This is an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. You're listening to a compilation of definitive Art Bell. Art returns to the studio live this Monday night, Tuesday morning. And now, the absolute best of Art Bell. All right, Mel, um, here comes some more people. First time caller line, you're on the air with Mel, with the hole. Art, why don't you have uh, somebody, I know you're connected with somebody that's got radar available. Radar would be the way to go to find out the depth. Well, would radar go down a hole um, Absolutely. without hitting the sides? You don't need a fancy radar to do it. You mean like a, what What about sonar? No, I guess no, that's... sonar you couldn't use because you don't have anything for the medium to go through, like underwater for sonar. Yeah. But radar would definitely work. In other I words... I was just curious if you'd call a government agency to come out. But wouldn't radar return a hit from the sides of the hole and no. bounce around down no, there? No, no, no. Purely directional radar. What, 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 what do you use when you're driving down the highway? Well... You use radar, but exactly. that's, that's out in the open. That's not in, in, I don't know enough about radar to know if that would work, but it's a good idea. Well, I've used it for years, but that's All right. the way to try it. All right, that's, that's, that's uh, I want, how about a cop's radar? I'm not sure if they'll return an echo off of that. Possible. All right, all right. Well, it would tell you how fast the hole was going, wouldn't it? <laughs> tell you how fast, uh, cute Mel. Um, wild card line, you're on the air with Mel. Hello. <laughs> Pretty, this is pretty funny. Uh, 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 good evening, Mel. Hi. Uh, uh, my name is Barry. I'm just uh, hop, skipping a jump from away from you down here in Yakima. Oh. All right. And All right. Uh, I'm, I'm awful surprised I haven't heard of this before now. Well, now, Mel hasn't made this public as far as I know. Have you, Mel? No, it's just on my land. Oh, I see. So uh, my neighbors know about it. But, well, I mean, th- th- wait, wait. This is the first public announcement of the whole uh, as far as I know, there's no newspaper accounts of it, you know, not in the uh, Daily Record or in the uh, Well, there will be the now. Herald. There will be now. Oh, well, as usual, uh, you've heard it here first, folks, on That's our right. bill. That's um, right. uh, before I get serious, I, I just wanted to kind of lighten things up here and ask if you'd considered uh, making a contract with uh, the uh, Refuse Collection Department from uh, Yakima County. You could probably make a killing <laughs> on that. You know, I I, re- I read an article in the paper how they wanted to close down our uh, local uh, uh, dump out here, and uh, <laughs> I almost seriously suggested. Here's another possibility for you. Do you know that I live near an area where there's supposed to be a high-level nuclear dump? Now, if this is really, in effect, a bottomless pit, whoa, you may have something that the U.S. government wants. So I could, like, rent this thing out. You're damn right. And move away as they quick bring... as possible. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, anyways, I, 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 wanted, I wanted to, to mention here, um, 
uh, we've got uh, many, many mediums of technology, and the, the gentleman who suggested radar, I think, was on to something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's, say, for instance, that Guinness was a, you know, came out and was going to, you know, they're pretty thorough uh, with their investigation before they're they're going to print you. Yeah, uh, that's true. Anyways, uh, you know, maybe the way to go is to uh, to have someone lower in a sensor's package, uh, you know, which is something that measures for uh, noxious gases, uh, temperature, uh, and I'm sure they could uh, focus a radar, you know, probably pencil thin, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and just hook it up to a uh, endless supply of a cable and uh, lower it down. I, uh, be uh, awful interesting. Look, I, I'd be interested, even if, if we don't get a hold of the guy uh, from Austin, uh, to lower a camera and a light down. You know, when I was, was out there this evening, it's uh, kind of a sort of a full moon out there. And one, one of the things that occurred to me is maybe this has some sort of astronomical type uh, type thing. What do you mean, though? Well, you know, it's like, you know, how... Uh, you know, the, the various pyramids and things in Egypt, you know, are supposed to be lined up on various star systems or whatever. Well, was it a thing like where the moonlight was shining into the hole? Well, no, but I, you know, I just, you know, happened to notice, you know, the, the full moon and all yeah, of a sudden moon, to right? sort of uh, put two and two together there, you know. You've never felt drawn to the hole uh, personally, have you? I mean, in terms of, you know... Uh, uh you, you mean in terms of some sort of spiritual involvement or no uh, suicide no suicide. Uh, no oh, oh no no the uh, the, the uh, I, I mean i keep i keep the lid on it there because it's an attractive nuisance uh you don't want local kids there climbing on the wall and falling in there's actually no way of knowing whether people have gone in um because they'd be gone not, not in my um, down with a refrigerator. You know, you know. Again, if I can find out something from the local uh, Native Americans on, you know, maybe with some sort of burial thing, or uh, you know, I mean, and you can drop a big rock, and you can hear it going down, probably bouncing off the walls or something, but you never hear a splash. You, you never hear a splash. I, I've even taken like uh, old television tubes, you know, the picture tubes, and you've you know, dropped oh, picture tubes down yeah, there. I've dropped. I've dropped. <laughs> I hate to say this here, but I've dropped more than one of them down there, and uh, uh, I've never heard it implode or anything. Uh, nothing. EPA, you probably shouldn't say that on the air. Well, uh, they'll come and get you for that. I mean, TV tubes. Well, well, it, it, it is my. <laughs> it's your own property, I know, but yes. these days, Mel, doesn't make any difference. I mean, tomorrow morning you'll be able to wake up and there'll be tanks and Boutrous, Boutrous Golly will yeah, be there. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's true. All and, right, uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel. WKXY, Sarasota. Sarasota, Florida, Let me say, let's throw Mike from Las Vegas down the hole. Really? Yeah. Okay, you know, he's the cat. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I do have a question for Mel. You're a fisherman, right? Yeah. Okay. Have you ever felt a tug on the line? If you did, what would you do? Uh, Well, Well, I I don't have a hook on it. There's just a large, uh, there's a one-pound weight. Yeah, but Uh, she's she's saying if something obviously was pulling on that line. Um... What would I do? Yeah. What you do? I, 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 I'd run. Yeah. I'd yeah, seal that, that damn thing up and I'd never get near it again. Yeah, I'd, I'd put the lid down on it at that point there and say, that's it, the dump is closed. And at any point, did you ever pull up the weight 
And look at it. Yeah, I asked that too. Oh, well, yeah, the 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 first the first the first uh, series of uh, letting down line. Oh, I got about uh, forty five hundred feet down there. I had a uh, roll of lifesavers down on the bottom to determine if there was any water mm-hmm. down there. And of course, if there was water, the lifesavers would melt. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, I didn't I didn't do that. But since that time, I've let the line continuously go down. I've just spliced on to the end of the line and continued. yeah, I'm just trying to find out where the bottom is. Yeah, that, that's my that was my main question. It's like how deep is this thing? Where does it go? You know, I, well, it goes into the earth, but you know how how far does it go before it'll stop? Okay. You know. Uh, yeah. All right, thank you, ma'am. Um, I think that a light. And a video camera. I mean, Mel, you could have a special as you got down past, what What did they say was the deepest hole, 1,600 feet? 1,600 feet. As you got down past 1,600 feet, you'd have a network special on your hands, Mel. That would be good. I'm thinking about putting up a web page on it there if I can get a, one of those. What's uh, his name? Rivera would come. <laughs> and, and they'd lower him into the hole. <laughs> Only if we were all lucky. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel. Hello. Yeah, this is uh, Terry from Bremerton. Hello, Terry. Oh, you're up in Washington again, yeah. You're right. Well, I was wondering about uh, how much does 15 uh, miles of fishing line weigh? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just letting that sucker go down. I have not well, realized What if you've it. already hit the bottom and you got uh, a pound of fishing line on it? You're That's just right. letting it down. Yeah, I, I should. Uh, the bottom. I, sh- I should weigh one of those uh, spools because I'm, I'm getting them in five thousand yard spools. Yeah. Uh, and so I should weigh a spool and sort of deduct the cost of the, uh, the the spool itself and see what that would add up to in terms of how much uh, how much how much that weighs. So so in other words, it could be it could have hit bottom some time ago and simply the the pure weight of the line. Right. It, it 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 doesn't feel like it it is is reach bottom there. There's no slack in the line. But even so, well, there might not be with that much weight. But you know, even if that's true, caller, think yep. about it. He's still got the deepest hole ever heard of in the world. Yeah, he does. <laughs> but the weight of the line would keep pulling the line down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, there yeah, there would be so much yeah. line down there by then. But he, what pound test line is it? I'm using 20 pounds. I, 20 I couldn't pounds. afford to you go much higher. you think you have 20 pounds of line on it already? Pardon me? Do you think you have 20 pounds of line in the oh, hole already? I'm, I'm sure there's more line, more line than that. It would break by then. You know, we're 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 talking uh, how many how many? Uh, there must be a lot of tension. I've got 20 spools of line. A lot of, of tension on that. Yeah. 20 spools of line on there. Wow. And it's still hanging on there. You know, I, I'm I'm you know that that. That weight continues to go down. I don't know if there's a way of weighing that thing, you know, as it is. Yeah, I was just interested in how much uh, the line would weigh itself. I, you know, well, I, I could probably do that. You know, get yep. one of those hanging scales. Sure. And 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 spring spring operator and stuff, and just sort of knot it off up there. Yeah, why not? It's worth a try. And the other thing that's worth a try, I suppose, although you'd be cranking for a long time, would be to crank it back up again. Well, no, I, I could just I could just weigh like one spool of line and multiply it. I, I think I'm up to about like 18 spools of line right now. So you know it wouldn't be too hard to get a, a weight on it. All right, you, you'll report back to us on that. Yeah, I can. Sure, definitely. All right, yes, definitely. All right. First time caller line. You're on the air with Mel. Hello. Yes. Hi. Where are you? I'm uh, Bellingham, Washington. Yes. Oh, Washington again. Yeah. Yes. 
Yes. Um, I was wondering, um, what what was the uh, Mel said that he had a triangular one pound weight on the end of uh, the line. You're right. Yeah, I was wondering what was what elements were was that weight or is that weight composed? Of? It's a sta- standard lead fishing weight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you were talking earlier. Um, Al was talking earlier about the heat when you get. Deep into well, the- I I was speculating. You know, I oh. saw the movie with uh, with Pat Boone about the journey to the center of the earth. It's supposed to get hot when you go down, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also, what about the magnetism? You know, that that's a factor you consider also. The magnetism? Yes. Uh, you're off into a territory that I can't answer. Mel, are you gonna you're gonna contact your your wife works for a university, yeah, huh? local university? Have they? I mean, did she tell them about this? And if so, what did they say? Well, the people she talked to, because I nag her about it occasionally, say, sure. you know, they're telling her, you don't have a whole day that deep, you know. So, in and, other words, they don't believe her? No, no. No, and, I, you know, I'm, what I'm trying to do is, you know, kind of entice them out there and just bring something out there to measure how deep it is. That's, that's well, Mel, really... would you be willing to talk to, like, newspaper people or... Uh, television people, they're crazy. They'd send someone down there. Well, I, 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 I know I'm talking to a lot of people on the on the phone right now and on the radio, but yeah. uh, yeah. I, I am not sure <laughs> I'd want to have a, a TV crew and a, you know. A, so you're not sure you want that kind of publicity? No. You know, I mean, you know, I'd be happy to, you know, like I say, you know, I could, I could put together a website on it and, uh, uh, you know, keep people, you know, um, informed about what's going on because, you know, I'm sort of making this my... Uh, people would accuse you of going to the well one time too many. Uh, that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel. Hello. Hello there. That is absolutely amazing. All right. This is Ken from Scottsdale. Yes, sir. And uh, uh, one thing I wanted to mention about that, when you mentioned about a car that had fallen... Apparently fallen from the sky. The Chevrolet, yeah. Right. I recall reading about many, many incidents in England and throughout Europe of uh, nuts, raining nuts of different kinds. I mean, Brazil nuts and hazel nuts. Uh, Sometimes it rains nuts on my program. Listen, yeah. well, uh, no, is... we're not talking about things falling from the sky right now. We're talking about a hole. Right, I know. Well, this was it was open lines a minute ago. Now you switched it. Well, I've switched hole. it because I have milk. Oh, well, anyway, um, the, as far as the hole goes, it, isn't it possible there could be like an aquifer or something in the there water well, or something? Mel something? has not found any water, any water at all. He lowered lifesavers in, and the lifesavers came back, and that was how far, Mel? 4,500 feet. 4,500 feet, and the lifesavers came back intact, right? Oh, yeah, they, they, they were absolutely dry. They weren't dissolved. They were just perfect. That's pretty definitive. First time caller line, you're on the air with Mel. Hi. Uh, uh, Mel? Hi. Hi, this is Con- uh, Conrad in Grass Valley, and I've got some thoughts about this whole well problem. Sure. Uh, first of all, if he's putting line down the well... Wait, say- wait a minute, sir. We've got to stop this because people are going to call it a well. There has never oh, okay. been, there's well, never been any water found in this hole. Okay, a hole. Yeah, thank you. All right. If he started out with a one-pound weight... And he starts adding fish, uh, fish line to it. Right. Then the, the, the amount of weight down the hole increases. 
All right, now, if he knows the weight of the line on a per-foot basis, as he puts more weight down the hole, if he could measure the total strain on the top of the, or load on the top of the line, he would know if any of that line was draped on anything. See, the thing is, once he gets a fair amount of line no, down that's there, good, that's a good point. The, the one pound weight on the end is insignificant. Hmm. And he wouldn't even, it could be hung up on something and, or uh, laying on the bottom or something and, and, um, he would never know it. Yeah, but, 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 but he, he put lifesavers down 4,500 feet. So even if what you're saying is true, this is still by a long shot the deepest hole ever, ever. Uh, well that's, that assumes it's even that deep. Uh, the one, the one thought that you had that I thought was very valid was, uh, uh, the temperature as you go farther down into the ground. Well, that's what they, th I think that's right, isn't it? Oh yes, of course. Uh, by the time it's down, uh, uh, 4,000 feet in the ground, where the temperature would probably be, uh, well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. If the 100, well, uh, the monofilament and the lead would certainly, uh, survive 100 degrees just fine. You're probably right. That is interesting. Mel, I say that we gotta put a person down there. A volunteer. Not a cat. No, not no a cats. cat. No cats. But, but a person, maybe like a media person. A, a, one of these anchors from maybe one of the Seattle Como stations or something. Mm. Set, you know, lower them down. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, Again, I'm I, I'm, intri I'm I'm intrigued. Again, I've been running line down there for quite a while, and uh, uh, I, I don't think I've hit bottom. Uh, that uh, uh, the weight seems to be hanging plumb over there, and uh, uh, like I say, we've been throwing things down there for a long, 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 long time, and you know, it, this hole has not filled up. <laughs> It, it, I don't know. Maybe it's getting incinerated down there. I don't know. All right, and and you would you would swear on all that is sacred to you that what you have told us is the absolute unadulterated truth. That this is my hole, and this is this is the truth about it. God, it's an amazing story, Mel. Um, who else besides your wife, the people you've tried to talk to at the university, and yourself? I, I guess your neighbors know about the yeah. hole? Oh, yeah. There, there's probably good... Oh, well, you know, in terms, you know, not not families, but individuals, probably good 20 people that uh, use the hole regularly. To throw junk into. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's always been done. Well, I remember when I was a kid, I used to like to, you know, throw stuff off bridges and stuff mm -hmm. like that and into holes just to hear it hit bottom. Ain't never, never heard anything hit. I mean, I mean, if you hit the side, of course. But if you just drop it straight down, straight and down, yeah, nine and a half feet. Go straight. Nine and a half feet is certainly large enough so that if you got in the center and dropped it straight down, it would go straight down, right? Yeah, you, you, you can, you can just, you know, lean right over there and get it going straight down. You know, and as far as anything I could see, you know, visually, you know, with with the, you know, halogens and flashlights, uh, the light just what. 
fades away into blackness? Yes. You, you've got nothing after a while. You know, it's, you, I mean, you can see as far as the beam will go, and that's it. You know? Does anybody have any theories about, you said a dog was thrown into the hole yeah. dead and then came back alive again, right? The, the story is the guy was out hunting, and he saw his dog, and, 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 and he knew it was his dog because it was the same dog. It had the same collar. It had the same tag on it and the whole thing. Oh, man. Does anybody have any theories about what properties would be in the hole to resurrect a canine? Gosh, I, 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 I'd, I'd like to think that this is something like really benign, like, uh, I mean, cows have gone down there. I mean, I, I, I haven't heard any cows coming back, in, or at least that you would know, but I, I uh, don't, uh, boy. Uh, well, it's not the creator. Well, look. Um, we're out of time. Mel, you get the honors from near the hole in Washington State. Tell from, them. From the hole, it is uh, good night to everyone from coast to coast. This is the CBC Radio Network. Stay tuned for a startling update facts from Mel, followed by the classic call from Jimmy Joe. Flying in the airspace over Area 51. That's coming up next hour, right after the news, on this, the absolute best of Art Bell. Uh, here we go. I received this literally a couple of minutes ahead of airtime, and it has to do with Mel's hole. First of all, I want to thank you your listeners and your callers, I particularly want to thank the skeptics because they are the ones that really helped me. I have decided to take the money and run. I have made a lease arrangement in with regard to my land. The lease is to provide me with a sum of money to be deposited into an account in Australia. The money in Australia would allow me to immigrate to Australia because I would normally be unable to do so because of my age. Australia, unlike the U.S., has very strict rules regarding immigration. Huh. So I guess if you're older, uh, you've got to have money. Interesting. Anyway, he goes on. The balance of the mortgage on the land will be paid off by the leasing party. I will be paid a sum of money each month for the next 100 years. Should I predecease or die, the term of the lease, the money is then to go to my estate. If it is feasible, based on the leasing party's use of the land, I am to have my remains, upon my demise, return to the U.S. and be disposed of in the whole. This last item is based on the future use of the whole. This is incredible. He goes on, if any commercial use of the land is made by the leasing party, their agents, or any other entity, I am to receive 5% of the gross revenues generated by the land. This would be in addition to the monthly lease amount. The lease can be renewed at the end of the term by request of the leasing party. I will be indemnified against any damage... Uh, to the land or environment based on actions of the leasing party, etc. I'll be indemnified against any damage uh, 
to the land or environment. Oh, he goes on to say, this is a little hard to read. There will be no charges of drug manufacturing against me. I will not be charged with the importation and propagation of non-native plants. Any materials regarding my research will be returned to me. Any personal items remaining on the property will be returned to me so long as they do not compromise the security of the property. In return, I am not to release any photographs, written or oral descriptions as to location or any information that would compromise the security of the property. I do not wish to talk to the press. In my opinion, there is no press other than Art Bell. If you want to be on the cutting edge, he says, Art Bell is the guy sharpening the knife. <laughs> Though things were pretty scary at times, everything worked out well. I'm certain that if I never contacted you to begin with, I would not have been as fortunate as I am today. It is amazing what can happen over the span of a few days since Friday. I'm just trying to make it to the end of the month. Now money will not be a problem for me, ever. Thank you all, and let Mel's Hole enter into that murky territory of urban mythology or conspiracy theory. This is the end of the trail. Mel, P.S. Yes, they will tell me about the true nature of the hole. No, you will not hear it from me. So this appears to be the swan song of Mel. Maybe. That came about two minutes prior to airtime. I received a very cryptic, strange message from my affiliate, I think it's KXLE, up in Washington earlier today. It's on my answering service. Uh, I'm still not sure what that was all about, so I, but it had to do with Mel's Hole. Then somebody sent me the following. James Johnson told a very strange story to the Seattle Post-Intelligencer back in June of 74. The Johnson family had just purchased a new home in Tacoma when their St. Bernard began sniffing around what seemed to be a small hole in the backyard. Thinking he had moles, Johnson ran a 50-foot-long sewer snake down the hole, but he never hit the bottom. Perplexed, he called a city manager who pronounced the opening to be 31 feet deep. By this time, the hole had widened, and he could see the first few feet were lined with bricks. The engineer suggested the family fill it with gravel. To avoid the $500 cost of filling the hole with gravel, Johnson bought, get this, 164 tires from the local St. Vincent de Paul thrift store and tossed them into the hole. He added an old rug, some boxes, several dog bones to the mix, and covered it with a wooden plank given to him by the city. A year passed without further incident. But get this, folks, when Johnson decided to install a sun deck, which would have to be built over the hole, he lifted the plank, and much to his surprise, he found the hole had sucked up all the tires. Johnson decided to research his house's history, and he learned that in the 1920s, the owners had also had a problem with the hole. 
They had thrown a large quantity of marble and assorted junk down into it. Apparently, this show of disrespect angered the whole. For an explosion literally blew everything out, marble and everything else. The lady living in the house was too frightened to remain and soon moved out. Another former resident stopped by the house and told Johnson his father had lowered him by rope down the hole in 1922. While in the hole, something pulled a bucket out of his hands. The tale of the Tacoma Mystery Hole quickly spread. Johnson was inundated with offers from people to explore it. Finally, he gave permission to one. They found some strange egg-shaped objects. On and on it goes with various theories, then, about the mystery hole in Tacoma. So, um, Mel's Hole is not the first mystery hole of this sort, apparently. So there it is, the, um, the story of Mel's Hole. Somebody has sent me... Uh, by the way, uh, uh, Daryl in Rancho Mirage says, uh, good for Mel and Art Bell. For Art, he had the courage to talk. For Mel, he was smart enough to listen. But wouldn't you love to hear the whole story? Art, you didn't make his day. You made his life. Therefore, you now don't have to feel guilty. That's true. I was feeling a little guilty because Mel was in so much apparent trouble. But it does look as though it has worked out well for Mel. Now, there are those who are saying he has sold out this taking the money and running business. I don't know that I feel that way. And I know it's easy to sit there as an armchair general and say, what a sellout to take the money and to run. But the alternative might have been to lose his land, end up in jail, uh, or worse, and so I can't, you know, I'm not going to make the judgment uh, that he has done the wrong thing. Because to be frank, I can't tell you in that situation what I would have done. Uh, again, let me tell you, Art, answer the wild card line. My boyfriend is in a small plane north of Las Vegas, ready to fly into Area 51. He's been trying to call you by cell phone. And uh, here he is. Uh, you're on the air. Hello. Hello there. Is this Art Bell? Yes, sir, it is. Yeah, my name, uh, I won't give you my last name. For okay, uh, wait Wait a minute, sir. Hold on. The The fax is signed by somebody named who? Jill. Jill. That is correct. So you are the one. That's my girlfriend. Uh, yes, sir. Where are you? Well, I'm up here from Fort Worth at my little airplane. It's a long sea I built myself. It's a Bird Rutan design with the Ford Canard. I'm not sure if you know the kind. It's an experimental aircraft. No, I'm not. That, but not anymore. No, tell me about it. What kind of airplane is it? Well, it's a long easy. It's got 120 horsepower, like homing in it, but we had it bored, stroked, and fixed it up a little bit. It uh, usually flies around 140 to 160 indicated airspeed. I'm right now at 7,000 feet. You know where this place called Indian Springs is? Indian Springs, yes. Yeah. Well, I've been flying now for about 45, 49 minutes here. Between Beatty, is that what you call it, and Engine Spring. And I figure I'll just uh, go on up here and uh, try to get into this Area 51. I'm right south of this Nevada test site, or Dallas Air Force Base. Listen. And I'm right outside this restricted zone. Listen to me. 
when you fly uh, when you fly into that zone, yeah. they are going to either force you down or shoot you down. Don't you know that? Well, you know, I've been in a lot of Air Force bases, and I've been in the Air Force for many years. I'm an ex-Air Force, but I'm just going to tell you that, you know, uh, as American citizens, we have the right to know what's up there in this Area 51. And I've been listening to people that talk about this. Hold on here. I'm making a turn. And, uh, just a second here. And I'm, uh, and I'm going to go on up there and see what's going on. And I just wanted to let you know about that before I do that, don't you know? How long... Um, how long do you estimate it's going to be before you... Um, I think about 14, 12, 14 minutes. I can crank this baby up a little bit here. Let's do that. Let's crank this thing on up. we got some pretty good mountains here off to my uh, west, don't you know? I'm turning up north right now, and I can see uh, I can see the Air Force base out there in the distance. It's uh, got three runways. It looks like they're all lit up. And uh, A-shaped. Looks like north-south. Got a lot of desert up here, don't you, boys? A lot of desert, yes. A lot of desert. Oh, uh, you're liable to get yourself killed. I'm sorry, sir. You have to speak so loud. I cranked this engine all the way up here. I hope I said. I said you're liable to get yourself killed. Well, we'll get up there in a few minutes, yeah, and we're just going to see what's going to happen because this is a. I've, I've got a, a red crosses painted on this baby, and I got hospital on it. See. And maybe they're going to think that I'm on a, some kind of a mercy flight and I'm just off course. And I've got the radios cut off because you can have radio failure, don't you know? And so uh, I'm going to hold this thing steady here about around 65, 6800 feet. Why are you doing this? Why are you I'm doing gonna this? I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm a American. Uh, my family has been American for years. And I'm going to get down in here and I want to find out what's happening. All right, then why, why are you doing it at night? Because that's the best way to get in here. But you know, even if you manage, it. even if you manage to overfly the area, what I'm do you? I'm in the restricted zone. I just entered the restricted zone. I see a bunch of lights out there. Looks like some kind of a search fight coming on. You're in the restricted zone now. I just crossed that restricted zone. I'm going to drop this thing down. Hold I'm on. telling you, you're going to get shot down. Hold on here now. I got my pressure suit on. I don't really need one of this kind of aircraft. It's not like a jet, but it helps to. When I make the tight turns here, and I'm going to cut down here. Now, let's see what these boys are going to do. I don't see anybody coming up here yet. I just see a bunch of lights. But uh, I'm pretty far from that Area 54, and I think about another eight, nine minutes here. And uh, it's hard to calculate it right now trying to talk to you. I'm trailing an antenna out here about 30 feet so I can keep this phone conversation. If we get cut off. Then, uh, but I'm going to go up here and see what's going on. They say there's a bunch of UFOs and there's all kind of things out here. And we're going to, I want to get this safety right down here about a thousand feet. And we're going to see if there's any UFOs or anything out here, what's going on. Listen, I think you're making a mistake. Well, sir, I might be, you know, but, uh, you know, our tax dollars pay for all this. And these boys, they've been hiding everything under all this black projects and all this. Uh, great funding and all this kind of thing. Don't you think, don't you, sir, hold it, hold it, hold it. Don't you think that we have a right to national security secrets? Uh, I think we have, not really, because you know they have these uh, K-11 and K-15 satellites up there, and the Russians, they know what we're doing, and the Chinese, they've got satellites down here. They know what's going on. The only thing they don't know what's going on is the common folks like me and you. 
And us common folks got a right to know because we're funding all this. How long have you been planning this? I got this thing down here by a thousand feet. I've been planning this thing now. I'm right on the deck, not quite on the deck. I'm at a thousand feet. Boy, they got my boat popping up everywhere. I'm telling you, they got search lights. about four of them out here. And I've been planning this now for, oh, anywhere from a month to six weeks. It took me a while to paint up the plane because I had to use that uh, Imron. The only thing but stick to this gel coat I got on this thing. This thing's built out of Kevlar and carbon fiber. I got it stressed, AG positive, 10G snake. It's overbuilt. I tell you what, I'm going to get down here and squirm like a little frog that's been dipped on by a big dog when I get down here. A few minutes here, I'll tell you that. Because I'm not going to... Hey, looks like there's a F-16 coming up here. I wouldn't be surprised. You're making a hey, mistake. scrambling somebody down there. He's got some afterburners on because I can see him. He's about five miles out. That old boy is cranking. Yes, oh. sir. And I see something opening up here on the ground. It's uh, I'm pretty low now. I'm starting to pick up all kind of buildings down here. I see something here is level with the with the ground, and this they're opening this thing up. There looks like something's coming up out of that. I can't tell you what it is. It must be on some kind of a. Uh, uh, hold on here. I got I got to make this turn. All right. I think this old boy's going to head up here for me. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, he's going to be up here right directly because he's in F-16. Sure as hell. He's coming. Oh, hold on here. I would advise you to turn hold your... Hold here. We, we can do this. I would advise you to turn on your radio. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. We can do this now. Come on here. Hold on. This old boy's coming up here. Now, he's got his lights. He's got his lights on and he's flashing me. Yeah, he's probably... Right, I'm waving at him. No radio, no radio. No radio. He don't know that. Well, if I were you, I'd turn I it on. I folks are listening to Art Bell, because everybody listens to Art Bell. Oh, well, Lord, maybe if, if you're making... Airspeed. i got to get some airspeed. You're making a bad calculation, because if they're not listening, you're going to be shot down. I don't know what he's going to do here. He's rocking his wings at me right now, this... Uh, He's rocking his wings, and he's cutting in front of me. And you know this, uh... Oh, don't cut in front of me now, because if he cuts that close, stay off. Stay off. He get his uh, vortex from his engine. And Pratt and Whitney engine. We're going to, just like twin tornadoes, if he gets too close, stay off, boy. Hold on there. I'm getting down on the deck. I'm going in. I'm getting down there. He ain't going to get me. I'm a damn veteran. He ain't going to get me there. They didn't get me over there. They're not going to get me over here now. Looks like some kind of rail gun coming up out of that elevator, uh, that flat uh, area over there that the doors opened up. It's got some kind of a, a weird-looking barrel on it with a light. And, uh, oh, hell, they're doing something. They're shooting at me now. Oh, God. No, baby, I'm going in. I think I'm going in. Well, I'm not sure what we just heard. All I can tell you is I got a fax that read, Art, answer the wild card line. My boyfriend is in a small plane north of Las Vegas and ready to fly into Area 51. 
He's been trying to call you by cell phone. I withheld the signature at the bottom of the fax so I could be sure that if I did get the person, I could verify it. Indeed, it was signed by Jill. Now, whether what you just heard was a hoax or the real thing, I have no way of telling you, and I have no way of knowing. You tell me. Guess who I just got a fax from? You're not going to believe it, folks. It's from Bugs. How many of you, if you've been listening to the program for a long time, you might remember Bugs. He's a man who thought that he killed, actually, two Bigfoot. And he was going to lead us to the burial site of these two Bigfoot. And by the time the program was over, this audience had so convinced Bugs that he would be charged with, at the very least, manslaughter and likely murder if they went to the gravesite. He disappeared. Well... I've got, a, I've got a guest coming on here in a moment, uh, just a regular kind of guy who had an encounter with Bigfoot. Bugs heard about it. Bugs, just this moment, sent me a fax that says the following art. The picture of Bigfoot on your web page looks like it's real. It looks very much like the ones that I shot several years ago. I printed the picture and used a magnifying glass and it looks like the real thing. Bugs. All right. Here's uh, the first part of a letter I got. Art, it's been a strange, long journey. About ten years now. But this photo is the keystone to our tale. My friend Ace was able to take this and several others seven weeks after our late-night encounter. He was able to bury himself in the snow and brush... And only then did he get the chance to get any picture after we had tried for weeks. I believe this creature knew he was around somewhere. May have been able to smell him, but not see him, or would never have come out into the open. When the creature got this close, see photo, which I have on the web, Ace became very afraid and wet his pants. Well, I don't blame Ace, do you? Now, once you see the photo, it knew... Uh, where he was then, and quickly moved away. Ace showed me the photos about two days after he had taken them. I told him to hide them and keep them in a safe place. They were so safe, we couldn't find them. Ace turned this one up because he was moving to a new house. The photo was resting at the bottom of a seldom-used drawer at his mom's place. It always seems when the going gets weird, the weird seems to know where I am. I know the feeling. But now I can share this weird with the rest of the world. Thanks, Art, for taking the time to look at our photo and to read my letter. P.S. It's okay to use my name on the air. Sign Dan. Dan, are you there? Yep. Dan, you're in uh, where? Arnold, Missouri, eh? Right. What, do you want to give your last name, Dan? Mm. Well, uh, yeah, it's Dan D. Doty. Dan D. Doty. That's D-O-T-Y, right? Right. From Arnold, Missouri. You know, it, it, people sit out there, Dan, and a lot of times they say, well, you know, if somebody wants to come on the air and tell a story and they won't give their name, it takes away from the credibility. So I appreciate your giving your name. 
Right. Now, uh, it's, it's just that, uh, well, I've been running around like a nut for the last 10 years trying to explain the story to people and didn't have any evidence. And now we do. Right. All right. Would you? Uh, we've got the photograph. and There's a million people going up to the website, I guarantee, right now to take a look at the photograph. And, well, and Bugs looked at it, and he said he thought it's real. I don't know if you remember who Bugs was or not. Uh, I've never heard of Bugs. I'm, I'm well, maybe you will if he's got the guts to call uh, and give me a, a number to call him. Anyway, listen. Tell us your story. How in heaven's name did you come upon this creature? What's the story? Well, for uh, for a long time, uh, we've heard like little stories, rumors that out in this area near Auto, Missouri, uh, right next to where Ace lives, that these creatures were out there. Mm. People had seen them. His mother had uh, called the sheriff's department when one came up right to the house. Right up to the house. Right up to the house. Right next to a car, her and a neighbor of hers were both totally freaked out. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, the sheriff's department came out there. One of the deputies maybe went like three feet in the woods. Said, uh, "All you people want to do is get on TV or something," and he wouldn't go back there and take a look. Um, was this on the outskirts of town or what? Uh, well, a lot of towns in Missouri are kind of spread out. They're usually interconnected on roads and stuff. Uh, right. And uh, the area where these creatures were, I'm going to use, I'll explain that a little later, were, was an area about uh, five uh, five miles by about two and a half miles large. It was a very large wilderness area. All right. And, um, well, we were, decided, he goes, well, let's see if we can really get a look at these things. Because we both had had late night encounters with them. Now, I want to understand that there had been reports. In other words, you knew the creatures were in the area. Right. Other people had seen them. His mother had. Other so, neighbors had. And so you, how old were you? Uh, time, uh, 25. 25. Mm-hmm. And your buddy? Uh, around, around 30. Around 30. Mm-hmm. And so you guys decided, we're going to go try and find this thing, huh? Right. Oh, so it was a mission. And so you, and for that reason, you had a camera with you. Uh... Not at that time, no. We just wanted to see if we could find them. All right, so off you went into the woods. But not very far. Not very far. Uh, Ace went back to his his house to get some sound equipment, something to amplify sound with. Uh-huh. While he's inside, I'm outside waiting. Yeah. And um, I hear something rushing around in the bushes. I said, uh, it's probably a coyote. we got tons of them out here. We have them here, too, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I've shown the flashlight around. And I caught one of these creatures in the face with a flashlight. And it was maybe somewhere between 10 and 12 feet tall. 10 and 12 feet tall? Mm-hmm. And, of course, real quick, rationalized in your mind, it's just a tree, it's something else, it's not this, it's not this. And uh, as soon as Ace came out, just by reflex, I put the flashlight on him. Of course. And then I brought it back, and there's just this empty space between the trees where this thing was. They said, oh, my God, it is. it was one of them. Did you see it well enough to describe it at that point, or were you in shock? Uh, well enough to describe it. What did you see? Uh, humanoid-like face, uh, high cheekbones, high brow, uh, lantern jaw, uh, very kind of almost uh, battleship gray texture to its skin. Really? Yeah. Uh, an ape-like appearance? Uh, if you count the nose, the nose is very small. It's more like a bulldog dog's nose than a human's. Okay. Um, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. What you saw 
in that shining flashlight. Is that the same thing that we've got in the photograph? Pretty much so, yeah. Oh, man. Because uh, I knew after we started going in the woods, Ace gave me the sound equipment. I put that on. We could, I could hear everything, you know, leaves blowing the whole bit. Did you actually get the sound uh, on tape? No, we didn't. Well, I've got a couple of sounds that uh, are said to be Bigfoot. All right, if you want to play them. Have you ever heard them? Oh, yes. You've heard them? Scream and talk. Um, exactly. Listen. This is the first one. I think it's a little less credible. Pretty horrible stuff. Now, to me, that one, uh, that one, Dan, has always sounded kind of like a human in the tortures of hell somewhere, or something like that. I think I've heard that sound before, too. You do? Uh, from a movie called uh, Legend of Boggy Creek. Could be. It uh, sounds I mean, like it. You just never know. It could be, but it always sounded to me like a human being going through some horrible torture, and, and humans can almost sound animalistic now, comes the second one. Now, this sound, this sound by every Bigfoot expert I've talked to is said to be the genuine sound of a real Bigfoot. Definitely not something you'd want to meet in the middle of the woods or anywhere else anytime ever. A horrible sound indeed. Uh, have you ever heard anything like that? Uh, actually, just... Hello? Yes. Oh. Uh, actually, I've only heard one... Uh, after I started viewing through movies and stuff, I've only heard one... One movie that actually had the exact sound. That was something that uh, uh, was done called uh, Bigfoot Manor Beast. Yes. And uh, that had the exact sounds on it. Somebody recorded that, and I said, God, that's it. Do you still have the recordings that you guys made? Uh, we never got a chance to make any recordings. In other words, w okay, so anyway, here you were. You shined the flashlight in your friend's face and said, and did what? Uh, I didn't say anything at that point. I don't know why. I just didn't open my mouth. You didn't open your mouth? You just basically said, come on, we're going in. We're and going in. Right. And uh, we maybe got 15 feet down the path into the woods, and he just turns completely pale on me. And I just go, hey, you know, what's wrong? He just said, I don't know. I just got this feeling like I walked over my own grave. <laughs> and before I could say anything, we heard things rushing around the bushes. I put mine to the left. He put his to the right. I didn't see anything. Next thing you know, I, I hear a screaming, uh, Jesus Christ, he's as big as a house. And I wasn't going to... Go, well, let me examine this closely. Uh, we both darted back out real quick. So that was encounter number one, huh? Well, the encounter isn't finished. Okay. Because uh, as soon as we backed out, they're like, whoa, you know, this, this is freaky. And uh, just about that time, a very large blue uh, ball of light zipped out of the sky and went into the woods. Oh. So, so both, in other words, there was a UFO involved in yes. this. Yes, and we're both, at this time, it felt like somebody dumped like 10 gallons of ice-cold water over me. I'm, I'm shocked. certain, yeah, I'm certain. 
And at that particular moment, I heard two of the creatures talking back and forth to each other. What? Really? Yeah, they, it's like some gurbling sound between them, like they're having conversation. I'm just, just freaking at this point. I'm sure you are. And Ace is kind of like giggling, laughing. I think he's pretty, he was pretty much in shock, too. Well, point. people react in strange ways to total terror. Some laugh. I know. He was, he was freaked out, too. And I said, well, let's get back in your house real quick, okay? All right. And, so uh, back in you went. Right. And... Um, it was pretty much an, a frightening experience for me. This was at night. This whole thing had occurred at night, right? right? Uh, but the photograph that we've got... ...was during the daytime because we kept trying to get a picture of it because here I come back home and explain this to my family. They all think I just went nuts on them suddenly. Uh, God, they all still think I'm nuts. They do? I think everybody in the whole town does. Have you ever wondered about yourself, Dan? Oh... Uh, I'm, I'm serious. I, I mean, uh, have you ever wondered whether you, this really happened? Well, if Ace hadn't been there, I would have probably said, I think I lost it. Yeah, okay, I hear you. Where is Ace now? Uh, Ace is home. I called him to say that I was going to be doing this program. He said he couldn't stay up and listen to it because he had to go to work tomorrow. Okay, but so uh, the point is, you've got an eyewitness. Mm -hmm. Now, did you go to the media with that? Was was there a story in the newspaper about you and Ace? Uh, no, I, everybody ignored it. Everybody ignored it? Uh, they didn't want to hear it. Yeah, I know about that. I don't, uh, don't want to hear about that stuff. <laughs> uh, I called up a number of radio stations, a very large one here in St. Louis. Uh, basically got made fun of on the air when I told them my story, as I've told you. Really? Yes, and basically, as, uh, you're nuts, you're crazy. On all the calls, kind of confirm that opinion after I got off the air. Well, that was a conventional way media used to react to this kind of thing, uh, Dan. As far as I can tell, they still do that way. Well, some do. Uh, the smirks are becoming fewer. Anyway, so um, so you had this encounter, this nighttime encounter, mm -hmm. and now how in the world, how in heaven's name, did you get close enough to get a photograph like the one we've got up here? Uh, Ace was able to do it. We both uh, took our turns trying to trying to get close enough to this thing to get a picture of all these creatures. We knew there was more than one. How, uh, many, how many do you think were there? Uh, I said at least two. Do you think they're still there? Not after what after we took the pictures, they wouldn't be. Because something really neat happened that spring, too. What? Uh, for some odd reason, this government contracting guys came in, ripped up entire area, uh, the large portion of this area, and stuck a transmitting tower in the middle of it. Really? Yeah. And after that, nobody saw anything, nobody heard anything. So, in other words, they virtually paved over the Bigfoot's habitat? Uh, basically, yeah. If they're somewhere else in the area, uh, they're not around where they used to be. Because it's just like somebody knew what we were doing and decided to fix the problem. Well, you may have heard early in the program there was a lady who called from Arnold, Missouri. Oh, I heard, wait a minute, she... She was said, worried uh, about going uh, to sleep. She wanted to... Uh, I believe she said she was 100 miles south of it. Oh, uh, did she? All right. Oh, yeah. Well, close enough then. Uh, so you may have driven the Bigfoot her way. Oh, uh, be unfortunate. Yeah, be unfortunate. Yeah. Um, 10 or 12 feet tall. Mm -hmm. uh, hairy? Very. Very hairy. Very hairy. Yeah, that's what it looks like in the, in and, the photograph. And uh, the, the color of the fur is almost exactly as the tree bark would be. 
it's a little darker, actually. Uh, one I can tell from the other pictures when we had them is the creature hides behind trees or stays still so you can't see it. Yeah, but this, also... this one has its face out. That's the important part of this photograph. Uh, they're also extremely quiet, believe it or not. Look, Dan, I know you're just, you know, you're a layman. But what do you think these things are? Uh, from all the things that's happened, uh, they do have extraterrestrial connections. No doubt about it, because I've seen too many reports that give them that kind of thing. All right. Tell us the story of how you got this daytime photograph. All right. Uh, Ace and I have been sitting around trying to figure out how we're going to get this. I mean, we had gone through the whole gambit of, gee, maybe we can sneak a picture, too. Maybe we should go down there and try to blow one of their heads off or something and drag it back. Yeah. And for some odd reason, we kept talking to each other out of doing that. Right. Good for you. And uh, eventually said, well, we're a chance. Uh, I'm sure, for one thing, everybody was laughing, right? So you guys wanted proof. That we wanted proof because they couldn't that, laugh at you. Yeah. Uh, Ace wasn't talking so much as I was. Uh, I was talking to her just about anybody would listen for 10 seconds. Right. And, uh, and basically he said, we're going to wait it out. He said, we're going to be, we're, he said, we've been in the woods our whole lives. We'll just, when you want anything, you just have to wait it out. Yeah, that's what And you do. we basically took turns. Uh, I got close to it a few times, but I never could get any, any chance to take pictures of it. I could always tell when they're around. Did you guys go out there with guns and cameras or just cameras? Just cameras. Just cameras. Boy, that's gutsy. I know. That's gutsy because, I mean, obviously uh, Ace did meet up with one. Right. Uh, I got close a few times, but I never could get close enough for it to come out in the open. Now, it's really interesting because in the first encounter, you're the guy who saw the Bigfoot, but in the sec second encounter, on shifts with you guys waiting out in the woods mm -hmm. during the day, he's the guy who got the photographs. Well, I think it's just because he knew how to do it a little, little better at hunting than I am. Uh, so what did you guys do? Just sort of crouch down and wait? Actually, he I'm the guy who was like being mobile and trying to sneak a chance. You know, maybe it would come out in the open or uh, I'd trip over it. I got close a few times, but I never could get it to come out in the open. Huh. Uh, it's weird. You can always tell when they're around because everything just shuts up. Birds, animals, everything. They're just totally quiet. So that's how you know they're in the area? Yeah, everything just stops. I mean, they know it is around, so they're, they're staying as still as possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could never get really close. Uh, Ace came up with a brilliant idea. I asked him, you know, the idea, how did you get so close? He said, well, I just covered myself in snow and brush. So yeah, he that, couldn't see me. That's, I mean, that's classic. I want to thank you, Dan. And if you'll listen on the radio, you're about to hear a guy named Bugs. Once again... Here I am. Well, folks, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> but I have on the phone the author of the facts about Bigfoot. He's on the phone with me. And I had to uh, talk very hard to try and get him uh, to say a word or two on the air. And he's going to. You may recall the facts. For those that don't, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read the facts. Uh, and then we're going to go and say a, a couple of words to this man. And I am dying, as you are, of curiosity. Dear Art Bell, I know where two Bigfoots are buried. 
1973, two friends and myself were out hunting at night using spotlights. Came across one Bigfoot in an open field. He was about 100 yards away. Two of us shot and dropped him. He got up. We fired again. He went down a second time. He got up again and started for the river. This time he was about 250 yards out. We fired again, hit him, but he did not drop. The next morning, we returned to the area and started to track him. It was easy since there was a lot of blood. We followed him down the river for about a half mile, came up on a wild, excuse me, a large wild plum thicket. The blood trail went in there. We flipped a coin and the odd man went in. It was December, there were no leaves. I crawled in on my stomach and about 50 feet in, that's 50 feet, I met with the female. Thank God for the 44 Magnum. It took three shots to bring her down. Each time I fired, she went backwards. She stood up, and my two buddies each fired, hitting her in the head. That was the end of it. We found the male dead in the thicket. Female had the same body as that of a human, sex organ, breast, and so forth. Male had the same type of organs as a human. The difference, though, was that of the face that looked like a cross between a human and ape. The male was about seven and a half feet tall, his weight about 350 pounds, the female seven feet tall and 300 pounds. Since they looked so human, we decided to bury them. We felt that we might get charged with murder. All three Vietnam vets were snipers, so we knew what we were doing. We took ten Polaroid photographs, pictures. If you want to talk to me, then I will fax you my number. Just say the word bugs and I will fax the number to you. If I agree to show you where they are, and if I need an attorney, your company will pay the bill. That is the only way. Well, while my company is uh, certainly not uh, prepared to foot the bill, uh, the Bigfoot Society has indicated that uh, with the right conditions, they are. They'll help. They have money. They have resources. They have helicopters. They're very serious about what they're... Um, are doing with regard to Bigfoot. Now, I just, uh, during this last break, got a simple uh, fax uh, with a way to contact uh, somebody with the pseudonyme of Bugs. He's on the phone right now, and uh, here he is uh, from an undisclosed location. We'll just leave it at that. I don't even right now want to know where you are. Um, but I do want to say thank you for uh, getting back to me. You're welcome. I was afraid that uh, you only listened on Sunday evenings and um, that you wouldn't be up this late. Well, I was already asleep. My wife was listening to you, and she woke me up. Woke woke you up, eh? Um, all right. Um, uh, there's a lot of confusion. People misheard the fact. Some people thought it was 50 yards in that you crawled. It wasn't. It was about, according to the facts, 50 feet, correct? Right. Now... It's this this thicket was oh I would say about uh, fifty feet wide by 100, 150 feet long. <clears throat> it was uh, in a draw uh, ravine or whatever you want to call it, and it you could not see down into it, but uh, you there was no leaves so you could see what was in front of you. All right, let me take you back uh, before this if I can. Uh, the only part, and you may have heard me or your wife may have heard me mention this that I had a hard time was uh, with was that uh, the shot, the first shots that were taken apparently were taken uh, at night from about 100 yards. Right. And I take it what you had in your sights uh, was a biped of some sort up on uh, up on two legs, right? Right, right. Uh, 
Well, when we first seen what it was, we seen the eyes. It was basically reddish. At first, we thought it could be a deer. Uh, the eyes were similar. And as we got closer, uh, it was probably, I, I assumed it was in a crouch or kneeling position. And when we, as we got closer, we came, we came around a bend in the road that went into this flat area that run alongside the river. And it was a plowed field. And, uh, we were able to see as we got closer when we hit the lights, the pickup lights hit it first, brought the spotlights on it. Uh, we're using five, uh, five, 500,000 candle watt quartz beam lights. Wow. We, back in 1973, we did this basically professionally because we were hunting coats, bobcats, uh, coons, that sort of thing because they were bringing a lot of money. I've got you. And, uh, as we come around, like I said, when the lights first hit it, we thought that it was a deer with the eyes. And as we got closer, we could see it was something crouched. And we, when we stopped the pickup, it stood up. All right. So, uh, at first it was crouched, uh, down on all fours. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was on all fours. Or you mean kind of crouched down like you, uh, kneeling or something. All right. I've got you. I've got you. Mm hmm. And, uh, so then, uh, as you got closer, it reared up. It, it got up. Right. And. Uh, how much it, detail could you make out of this thing? Oh, I mean, at the point, uh, when we put the scopes on it, we could tell what it was. Uh, I mean, there was no doubt in our mind. Bird Dog and myself both knew immediately, uh, what it was. That, uh, it was a Bigfoot because, uh, the hair, the outline, the human form, but uh it was so hard to, the excitement, the adrenaline at that point was pumping like you wouldn't believe. No, I believe it. And uh, I, I laid my rifle out my window, and he come across the top of the cab with his. And uh, we both fired simultaneously. I mean, that's the way we did it when we hit coats. Whichever one side, one of us fire out the. Fly out the driver's side or the window and the other one would come across the cab and we both fired. And we fired instantly. He was using a 300, uh, Weatherly, which is 300 Magnum. Mm-hmm. I was using the 243. Okay. Uh, he was shooting, uh, I believe either 280, I believe it was a 280 grain bullet and I was firing a, uh, 125 grain bullet. And we both fired. He fell over. I mean, it just like, not really fell over like he was knocked over. I'm assuming the, the 300 is what did that. We thought he was down. Has he come back up? Okay, I'm not an expert uh, with guns. I know something about them, but I take it uh, these are um, uh, of a caliber um, and um, velocity that would bring down any normal animal. Right? Would 300 bring anything down in the northern United States and North America? Okay. The two forty three, no, it's not. It's more of a varmint weapon. All right. But the three hundred I mean you could probably bring down an elephant with it. Okay. It's probably the most powerful uh rifle there is uh in this part of the world outside of an elephant gun. And uh the animal got up, stood on his hind feet, uh started to run away from us and we fired again and again it was just like something 
pushed him down. We knocked him down. And uh, again, we thought he wasn't going to get up. And we opened our doors. I did and stepped outside and and Bird Dog come around the front. And he jumped up and he took off again. And this is when we fired the third time. And we hit him again because uh, he, he kind of learns forward, but he was further enough out that he went across, he hit the fence and went and it just rolled across the fence. And he got down into the river there and he was gone. Now this was all at about what time of night? I would say probably about 2.30. 2.30 in the morning, all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was at the end of what occurred that night. Right. We didn't, uh, we, uh, we didn't do any more, uh, looking for him that night because, you know, this thing is bigger than both of us put together nearly. Yeah, I wouldn't go in there. <laughs> and, uh, we knew that he was hit. We knew that he was hit bad. And so. You figured he wouldn't go very far. No, he, he's not going to go very far. So. I mean, he's been hit at least three times by, or four by both weapons. He's not going very far. Right. And he didn't. You came back uh, when the next day, roughly? Oh, we actually we didn't even go to sleep. We just kind of drove around until sunlight. I see. And I would say probably oh seven thirty eight. We arrived back over there. We picked up the blood trail. Uh, Bird Dog was a was a tracker in in Vietnam. It was very easy for him to follow the trail. And uh, we went down. Oh, I imagine about a half a mile, something like that. Mm-hmm. Come up on the thicket. And, uh, that was when we went in after it. All right. You're the guy. You flipped a coin to see who would go in odd man out, right? Yeah, I never was very lucky. <laughs> so in you go with a 44 Magnum. Right. And you got about 50 feet in and found what? Well, as I was going in, I was scared, to be honest with you, but I just, you know, I never suspected two of them. Uh, I got in, and the sound that this thing made as it come up at me. What was that sound? You've heard me play, I assume. That nothing like, nothing like what you play. Nothing like what I play. Nothing like. It's right. more of a scream. A scream. I mean, a woman can't scream the squealing sound. <clears throat> the way this thing screamed, and uh it just, I mean, it just put chills down your spine. But I seen it move. I seen it coming toward me, mm-hmm. and it, it was on all fours coming toward me. And I fired, and the 44, I'm shooting a 240-grain hollow point with an overcharge, literally knocked that thing back about three or four feet. It got up and it come after me again. And I fired again. It did it three times that way. And the fourth time, it stood completely up. And when it did, Bird Dog and my other buddy cut loose on it and they went through the head. All right, I take it the thicket was low enough so that when this creature stood up all the way, it was standing high enough so they could get a shot at it. Obviously. Right, right. Probably a plum thicket. I imagine probably five, six foot tall. Okay. And uh something to that extent. Well, it dropped and didn't make any more sounds. And I got closer, and I seen it wasn't breathing, so it was. It, I knew it was gone. And about another 
probably 10 foot on the other side of it, I seen the other one laying there. And so it took all three of us to drag them out. They were that heavy. And then when we examined them, we got scared because the, the organs, everything, it was just like a human body with hair on it. Oh, that was going to be my question. It, w w it was covered with hair? Right. It had a kind of a brownish-red hair. Brownish-red. And uh, you estimated the weight, I think, the uh, the male about 350 pounds, the female about 300, huh? Something in that neighborhood. And both of them over seven feet. At least. They were... I can promise you that they were at least seven foot tall. They could have even been taller. No clothing, right? No clothing. Um, the head looking half human? Uh, I don't know how to really explain it. Best, uh, best you can. The, it had a nose similar to a human's nose, but the mouth similar to an ape. The eyes, uh, half half human half ape looking it had a large uh protruding type forehead mm -hmm. whereas ours you know kind of comes almost down on your eyes this one hung probably half an inch or so out more so mm -hmm. than than ours would did it have a neck short neck very short huh probably if i remember right maybe three inches that's not much of a neck i tell you, the best way to describe the way they look from the backside, you've seen weightlifters where they don't have no no neck and it just goes all up into muscles. Yeah, sure. That's the way it looked. No, Like a no-necked NFL player. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, well, look, I can imagine your fear. I mean, what did you guys do when you finally got the bodies? You dragged them out. You looked at them. What was the conversation uh, like? Well, we started talking about what are we going to do? Should we notify somebody or should we bury these suckers or, or what? Right. And uh, we finally come to the conclusion that uh, we might go to prison. And so we decided, hey, let's put these suckers in a hole. And we buried them uh, and then covered it where nobody would ever know they'd been buried there. All right. Well, I'm not an attorney, but from what you've told me, you didn't commit murder. I mean, you were hunting, and clearly, I, I think, if your description is even close to accurate, uh, you did not kill what we think of as human beings. Uh, let, let me ask you to stay put for just a minute. I've got commercial things I must do. And um, so without identifying the person, other than to say this is Bugs, back now to somebody identified only as Bugs. All right, Bugs. So you guys, you sat around, you talked about it, you figured, look, we could get charged with something, um, so um, let's bury our mistake, I guess, or bury our. Did you did you consider it a mistake at that point? I don't know what I considered it. I just uh, being cautious uh, is more than anything. Uh, we didn't know what would happen uh, or what would go on, and it was just better that we just bury it. We took a uh, photograph. Oh, that's the other question. You took, it says here, 10 Polaroid photographs. Right. Do you have those? I don't have my three. They burned in my house, burned in 1979. My friends still have theirs. All right. 
Uh, so they seven. They still seven photographs out there somewhere. Uh huh. Uh, here's so you 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 feel you could return to the area, the site where these um, creatures are buried. I know exactly where they're buried. Uh, your only request is that you would have assistance if uh, it came to legal trouble. Is that correct? Well, I don't want to go to jail. Well, it's been a long time. You're coming forward now. What made you decide to come forward? I mean, even I had, ha halfway I forward. I never told no one except my wife, and I told her about this probably a year and a half, two years ago. Mm -hmm. And... I guess the basic reason, I used to own every kind of weapon there was. Mm -hmm. Been an ex-Marine, you know, I'm, what the heck. Uh, but after that happened, I don't even own a weapon anymore. It did something to me. That makes sense. And uh, I just, uh, I don't know, I was listening to y'all talking the other night, and everybody was kind of laughing about, you know, Bigfoot, hey, <laughs> It's real, buddy. All right, look, here's what I propose to do. I will, uh, with your permission, um, uh, get you a telephone number that you can call if you want to. Now, I'm, I'm the only one who knows how to get hold of you right now. And, and you I, uh, keep it that way. And I'll keep it that way, I promise. What I will do is I'll contact the people at the Bigfoot Project. And, uh, if, um, if if they, if you want to proceed, I will then give you their number, and you can call them and take it a step at a time with them. How does that sound? Well, that sounds fine, but I'll tell you, I still have to talk to my other two friends. Uh, they no longer live here. One of them, uh, well, they let's put it this way: if I told you where the other yeah, one, yeah, don't live, don't don't tell me. Um, but they they no longer live in this town. Well, if you know how to contact them, why don't you go ahead and do that? And uh, see if they feel the same way you do or not, and we'll proceed from there, Bugs. But it'll just—it'll ha have to be unanimous with all—all all of us. Uh, all three of us will have to agree to it. I understand. I look. I appreciate your coming forward. I'm sure you'll hear some comment about it, and uh, I appreciate your telling the story. So all I can tell you is, I will—I will protect you. I will tell you this much, Art. The day I die, I will have a map where it's at. Well, maybe we. I'm 51 years old now, <laughs> so it's not going to last forever. All right, sir. I've, I've got to take off. Thank you very much, Bugs. You're welcome. Get a good night's sleep. You can. Well, there. Surprise, surprise, surprise. This is CBC. Here I go again, right in the middle of it. Man, wasn't that something? Well, listen, uh, I took the opportunity to talk to somebody during the break who knows about shooters, hunters, and uh, he said what you just heard was a real McCoy. I'm not a hunter. Uh, I'm not a uh, significant shooter. I know how to shoot. I've done a fair amount of it, but I don't hunt. I've never hunted, ever since I killed a squirrel when I was very young. But I think what you just heard was real. I thought the facts was real, and I thought what you just heard was real. So, I don't know. That puts me uh, seriously in the middle, but a promise is a promise. 
So I'll proceed exactly as I said I would. I, I don't know. What do you guys think? There are many of you out there, I know, who are far more familiar with uh, hunters. And you listen to the story, as I did. What were your impressions? What have we got on our hands here? How would you proceed? Talk radio. Man, oh, man. Uh, incidentally, while we're on the subject of uh, talk radio, a piece of news just came in from the wire service. I think it's probably Associated Press. And I'll read it to you as is. A man has been arrested for allegedly threatening radio personality Howard Stern. Police in New York say Samuel, it's C-A-L-L-E-A of Buffalo, Buffalo, New York, was waiting when Stern arrived this morning to do his radio program. He allegedly shouted, quote, I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to kill you, end quote. Stern's bodyguards, didn't know he had those, asked the uh, person if he had a weapon. Police say he replied, yeah, got a shotgun in the trunk of my car. The bodyguards called police who arrested the man and issued him a summons charging weapons possession and criminal trespass. So um, Howard had a bit of a scare, I guess, uh, today. Thought I'd pass that on. Talk radio is a strange, strange medium. And it's, it's the kind of place where anything can happen, as was just demonstrated. I don't know. You tell me. What do you think we've got here? This is an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. You're listening to a compilation of definitive Art Bell. Art returns to the studio live this Monday night, Tuesday morning. And now, the absolute best of Art Bell. First time caller line, you're on the air. Good morning. Yeah, hi, Art. This is Mark in Seattle. Hi, Mark. Um, I had a question for you about your uh, Cusco bumper music. Yes. There's a piece you've been playing for uh, about the last two and a half years I've been listening to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it starts out with a pounding drum beat, and it's not the one that was just on. And I was wondering oh, yes, uh-huh. If you could tell me what the name of that one was. And Africa. What, uh, pardon me? It's called Africa. Africa. And which of the albums is that on? Um, I can't remember. Okay. Uh, but it's called Africa, so obviously if you go into a music store and look through the albums, that's right. what you look for. Okay, thanks, Art. All right, thank you, sir. Uh, it might be uh, Permac 2. That's just a kind of an off-the-hip guess. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, this is Ron in Montana. Hello, Ron. Uh, i got a couple questions. Yes, sir. Um, why, my understanding on this guy with the Bigfoot issue is they were out at 2 o'clock in the morning. Yep. And when they first saw this, why are they hunting at 2 o'clock in the morning? Well, uh, they were hunting for money. Oh. Uh, they were actually out killing for money. Um, if you listen, did, did you listen to it? I was getting bits and pieces of it. Okay. But my station drifts in and out. Oh, I see, I see. Um, how did the tone of the... Uh, story sound to you? Uh, well, it sounded realistic. Um, um, I guess I I'm just concerned uh, with the 
the responsibility of these hunters uh, shooting at something that they haven't identified uh, kind of gives sportsmen a bad name. Well, uh, if you were out in the woods and you saw something down on its haunches and it was gigantic and hairy, I guess based on that much, I mean, that's not a human being uh-huh. in your estimation. So, you know, I, I don't know what to think here, and I'm not sure how to proceed, but it sounds to me like they may have shot two Bigfoot. Well, that's the impression I got. I guess I just don't see this being very responsible sportsmen out there shooting at something that you don't haven't identified. It didn't sound like it was being a threat to them at the time. Well, um, uh, look, uh, a, lot, a lot of sportsmen. Yeah, but sir, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. A lot of sportsmen take down uh, game that is not a threat to them. Uh huh. That's. But they usually have a license about what they're shooting at. Yeah. Well, uh, all of that aside, I mean, that's fine. Um, not responsible. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. But uh, I would think that if you saw something that was fully hairy, uh, that your presumption without clothes, you, your presumption certainly would be that it was not a human being. And I'm not going to uh, sit here and defend uh, the morality of taking a shot or, you know, of his taking the shot, uh, nor am I going to uh, uh, criticize it. What I wanted to get mostly now from y'all is a sense of the story. In other words, did you believe it? I happen to think it's true. I, I, I believe it. I think we've got somebody here who... Uh, who took down uh, a couple of Bigfoot. Or something like a Bigfoot. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Art. Hello. Um, I was listening to the story about the guy with, uh, that uh, supposedly shot Bigfoot. Yeah. And with a couple. Yep. And uh, I do believe him because uh, my father used to travel a lot. Uh, he was a truck driver. And he had told me, one time that he uh, thought there was an animal on the side of the road, which he thought was a deer that was crouched down. He seen the uh, eyes, you know, like a deer with the headlights mm-hmm. would hit the eyes. And then it got up and walked on all, on its two feet, and it was around seven foot tall. And matter of fact, from that day on, he was an avid Bigfoot fan. I mean, he you know, bought magazines and sure. researched uh, on his own sure. a lot. Sure, It would drive you to that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, the story just unfolded correctly, I thought. I, You know, I'm not a hunter, so I can't judge that aspect. Well, I'm not a hunter but... either, but if you shot something like that that was close to human, half human and, and reasonably half ape, you would probably be react the same way they did, too. I would think I'd be scared to death. I'd probably bear the thing, too. I know. And that's what I said the other night. And coming forward, he has to prove himself now. Well, no, that's... Follows a, up on it. No, that's right. Thank you uh, very much for the call. That's that's exactly right, and I might have done the same thing. And I might have t- taken the shot, too. I, I don't know. I'm not a hunter. I guess I wouldn't have, because I wouldn't be out there hunting. But I don't know. To me, the story had, you know, layman me, it had the ring of truth to it. Now, what I would like to hear from is some hunters. I mean, you guys speak the language. Was this guy, uh, 
did he seem to be on the level to you? Sure does make me feel in the middle of this. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello? Hello. Who's this? Who are you expecting? Our bell? Bingo. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Turn your radio off. I already turned it off, sir. That's I, I, good. I'd never believe I would get on the air. Well? I've been listening to your show for like about six months, and I think you're a real good uh, uh, announcer. Uh, about the Bigfoot, are you guys still talking about that? Uh, whatever you want, sir. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I, I believe that guy compared to that other guy that talked about um, that story about uh, UFOs. About, I, beg, I beg your pardon? Yeah, about a couple of nights ago. Uh, I'm a little bit excited, though. This is first. Call toll-free 1-800-618-8255. No, 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 you're not allowed to use your last name on the air. Oh, I'm not. Oh, well, so I, I just had to take all that out. Uh, uh, so uh, let's let's start again. Your name is Joe? Yeah. All right, Joe. That's all we need is just your first name. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, you listened to the story that man told, didn't you? Yeah. And? Well, I think it's it's 100% believable. You do, huh? Yeah. Have you ever done any hunting? Uh... No, but I got a friend that does, and I'm going to tell him about it. I'm going to tell him about it uh, tomorrow. All right. All right. Thank you very much. I'll we'll look forward to that. I want to hear from some hunters. That's that's uh, one of the only ways I can uh, quantify this story. I, I'm just a layperson in this area, and to me, it sounded legit. But um, but I'd like to hear from some hunters. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Oh, my name is Paul. Hi, Paul. And I'd like to read you something here. Read me, please don't. Uh, what What is a concern? Oh, well, it's um, civil rights. Civil rights? Yeah. You want to read us our civil rights? Well, it's kind of like a, well, it's a law that enforces our civil rights. It's a law that enforces our civil rights. Yeah. Why would you want to read this to us? Well, let the people know that they have... Civil rights. ...right to enforce a law that will keep people from taking their civil rights. A law that will... Oh, well, I thought that was the uh, or the Bill of uh, or the Bill of Rights. Well, true, but this is, uh, this is out of the uh, law book's Crime and Punishment. Uh-huh. Well, th thank system. you very much, but we don't uh, we don't read on the air. If you want to have a discussion about something, you're welcome to do it. But I have found generally, uh, when people read on the air, it just doesn't work out. I think most people are aware of what rights they have. As a matter of fact, uh, people are very aware of the rights they have, not so aware of the responsibilities that should come with them. Um, west of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Art. Yes. Thoroughly enjoyed your book. I beg your pardon. Oh, you, my book. You liked it, huh? Yeah, I did. Good. I'm glad. Oh. It's the, new, it's the new Mother Nature. She's taken over. What's the new Mother Nature? The one that's going to get us all. Going to get us all? Yeah. Doomsday? The uh, end, we've end got of a the, long time for that. The end of the line? we got a long time for that. Oh, good. We're all worrying for nothing. All right, thank you. Strange. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Art? Yes. Oh, sorry about that. 
Uh, just wanted to call about this Bigfoot thing. What do you think? Well, I have a hard time believing. I have to agree with the uh, gentleman who called in and said he it couldn't, it, it was given to force a bad name shooting what they weren't sure they were at. Yeah, but, 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 but that is not the issue. The issue is whether or not... Well, I mean, that's, that's what's putting doubt in my mind. If these all are the hunters they claim to be, I don't believe they would have shot something without identifying it first. So that throws the... But, wait, but, but wait a minute now. He's, he did identify it to the degree that it was in a crouch. It had a totally hairy body and didn't look fully human. Now, that's, that, that's uh, pretty animal-like. Okay, well, I came into the story late, so if you could maybe clarify... Oh, I see, so you didn't hear it. Yeah, if you could maybe clarify one, I, I heard the last part of his call. Oh, all right, well, then thank you for the call, but obviously you're not going to be able to uh, uh, reasonably comment on it. I, I, I swear I'd play it, I'd play it back uh, if I had the ability to do that. I should have recorded it so I could do exactly that. Darn. Well, we do have it, of course, at the network, and it could be played back from there, but not tonight as the recording continues. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. Um, Hi. This is Mike from Flint. Hello, Mike. Michigan. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, I was, uh, well, I'm going to reserve comment on the Bigfoot thing until I hear a little more, a little more. But, uh, I, I was calling, this is kind of a strange story that I read in one of the, uh, actually one of the tabloids, but it was such, it was sort of, off the wall that it, it there is an element of truth to it i think because it involves uh uh were you familiar with the the 60s rock band iron butterfly sure um i don't know if maybe some of your uh listeners have heard this but uh like their bass player after the group uh broke up or you know whatever uh was some sort of uh like a computer wizard you know and uh evidently just a couple of years ago, I mean, I guess he made a quite a decent amount of money. A couple of years ago, according to this article, he uh, came upon some, worked out some sort of program uh, on this computer, some sort of big deal. They didn't really explain it too well. I'm hoping maybe somebody out there will know. But uh, evidently it involved community faster, this is what it said, faster than light communication, which is pretty bizarre. You know, faster than light, anything is pretty bizarre. But um, this, uh, and then evidently now he, the guy is missing. He's the, you know, that was the main crux of the story uh, was that he was missing. Vanished? A victim of his own new calculations, perhaps? Possibly. Uh, he Evidently he left a message on his phone machine uh, <laughs> saying that he was going to kill himself. But. Uh -oh. So maybe, or, but, you know, but I don't know nobody, if, he, nobody if he has, ever turned up somewhere. Nobody has found the body. What's that? I said nobody has found the body. No, they, they, uh, it's, uh, he, it, like I said, he may have even just came up not missing anymore. I was wondering maybe somebody out there knows a little more about this than I. All right, weird story. We'll, uh, check it out with some others. Thank you. I have no idea. Interesting concept. Faster than light communications accomplished with something that communicates uh, roughly at the speed of light or just below it. Huh. I wonder if there would be a way to accomplish that through computation. Not as wild as you might imagine. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. 
Uh, good morning. This is Sky in New Orleans. Hello, Sky. Uh, yes, uh, I'm going to call for uh, input on the uh, for bugs. Yeah. Uh, I, I find it more believable than not. Uh, by what margin, I'm not sure. And I'll tell you why. One, I myself am a hunter. Uh, I've been a sniper before also. Uh, he did sound to know exactly what he was talking about as far as the uh, firearms, especially when he was speaking about the uh, 300. Uh, that is definitely something that can you know reach out and touch someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way he, you know, described everything and, uh, just, you know, what weapons, you know, were doing to the, uh, creature, uh, you know, would make sense. And just, I don't know, just the sound of his voice, like it was an actual experience. Yeah, I know. It hit me that way, too. Uh, there's something else that also, you know, if, I don't know if you can allow the time for this. I've tried to uh, get through before with your Halloween show or, uh, Truth or Trash. But a related story is, I don't know if you've ever heard of the uh, Falk Monster or the Honey Island Swamp Monster down in this area. No, I haven't. I'll tell you what, though. I will uh, put you on hold, all right? Okay. And uh, you're going to have to sit for a while. Just relax. Let me do a little work here, and uh, we'll get to those stories. Have you ever heard of the St. Gaudens Double Eagle? It's a coin. It's a gold coin. It was commissioned to be designed by President Teddy Roosevelt in 1907, and it is beautiful. It's also just about one solid ounce of gold. Are you confident which way the market's going to go? Not me. I have no idea. And so I'm hedging my bet, as you should, with some gold. And here's a wonderful opportunity, because gold is at a wonderful price right now and when it was at the very best price it's actually climbing again when it was at the best price uh, David Hall's North American Trading bought a whole bunch of MS62 graded um, St. Gordon's Double Eagle coins that's MS62 graded by PCGS so you know what you've got and they're offering a one-time deal they're selling these coins until these coins are gone at their cost and I know it seems like madness, but it is not. It's the one potato chip theory that once you have one, you want more, and they know you will, and you will. But it's a heck of a deal, even if it's only one. One per family, that's the rule, and they really mean it. They're $445 each, plus $9 shipping. And the number to call is 1-800-359-4255. That's 1-800-359-4255. Five, five. Do you work nine five, the grind, every day? Looking forward to nothing but the weekends? How would you like to free yourself from that? Can be done. Man named Ken Roberts did it. You can do it too. He can teach you. That's what he does now. He teaches how uh, people how to invest in commodities. And I know the media has made commodities kind of a dirty word for a lot of people and in fact uh, more people lose money than make it in commodities but Ken Roberts a multimillionaire himself can teach you how to do what he has done and he does that it's a no risk approach as you learn you invest on paper and when you're finally convinced yourself utterly convinced that you're losing money by not using money you graduate and away you go 30 minutes to one hour every day. That's it, folks. That's how it works. Call them. Absolutely no obligation. 
the report, the audio tape, all free. Call them. Don't you want to know? It could change your life. The number is 1-888-GOLD-KRC. That's 1-888-G-O-L-D-K-R-C. Give it a try. A lot of my listeners have, and a lot of my listeners have made a lot of money. Now, this this came from a uh, a tabloid of some kind. Uh, no, not a tabloid. No, and, uh, there's a long time uh, been floating around stories about uh, what is called the Honey Island Swamp Monster. What is it? Well, the uh, basically... oh, wait, by the way, is your radio on, sir? Oh, I'm sorry, I did turn it back on during the rebirth. Right, turn it off. It is off. All right. What is this monster? Uh, there's been uh, numerous reporting, uh, which is basically a uh, Bigfoot-type creature uh, with a, an incredibly foul stench. And the Honey Island uh, Swamp is right along the border of uh, Louisiana-Mississippi area okay. uh, in the Pearl River area. And like I said, for several, several years, you hear different stories coming through about people, you know, hunters, uh, trappers, uh, people out crawfishing or what have you, uh, coming across... Uh, Creatures that look, you know, basically a Bigfoot type description. Mm -hmm. And the same came from the uh, Falk area of Arkansas, which is in the lower, well, the southwest corner around the uh, Texarkana area. Right. And what has been strange, uh, some people have reported coming across uh, footprints, oddly enough, with a three toe signature instead of, you know, a normal uh, five toe, which has always been associated with the Bigfoot. But uh, like I say, there have been different stories floating around uh, the swamp areas. Yeah, there, there have been so many reports that I'm fairly convinced there is something out there. This man's story that I heard a little while ago, what did you think of it, sir? Uh, well, like I say, if I had to uh, guess, I would say, you know, 60%, you know, maybe a little better, more believable than uh, not. Than not. All right, I, I would agree with that. Thank you uh, very, very much for the call, and that's, I guess, my assessment, too. About 60% or a little better. In other words, I lean toward believing it. Amazing as it is. I'm really glad he called. I'm glad that you all got to hear it. I don't know that I'm glad I'm in the middle of this right now because I think I believe it. We'll be right back. If you've missed any part of tonight's compilation of classic Art Bell, Bigfoot, Chupacabras, UFOs, Mel's Hole, and more, and you'd like to have a copy of this show on tape, dial toll-free 1-800-917-4278 and ask for tape number 970829C. The cost is $33.50 for all five hours without the commercials. That number is 1-800-917-4278. From the high desert and the great American Southwest, I bid you all good evening and good morning across all these many time zones from the Tahitian and Hawaiian Islands, all the way east across this great land to the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands, south into South America, north to the pole, worldwide on the Internet. This is Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell. Well, 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 we're going to get in lots of trouble tonight, I suppose. I've got a lot of neat guests coming up, and I just have a surprise guest for you tonight. Subject, the Chupacabra. 
And I've got a million faxes and uh, emails here. Dear Art, we saw a report about the goat sucker or chupacabra on our local NBC Channel 4 News today out of Los Angeles. The news anchors, Ken and Barbie, <laughs> did not seem amused. Looks like some fairly serious stuff. See you on the radio. Regards, Bill. Or here we go again. Right now, 6.20 p.m., CBS affiliate, Channel 2. There is a long report about the Chupacabras saying that there have been accounts all over the outskirts of Los Angeles now where dead animals like chickens and rabbits have been showing up by the dozens with two puncture marks in various parts of their bodies. No blood on the ground. In fact, no blood. No signs of struggle. My skin is crawling. This is getting a little too close to home. That's from an archaeologist in Los Angeles. Or Art just got done watching the 6 o'clock news on Channel 2. CBS did a long-term segment on Chupacabra or the goat sucker. They showed dead goats, chickens, other various animals. This story from Mexico City. Reuters, a giant bat-like creature is terrorizing a village in a northern Mexican state where goats are found dead daily with their blood sucked dry. Poor farmers from a village there have formed nighttime vigilante squads to track down the flying beast that has been dubbed the goat sucker. We are telling people to keep the women and children locked up and inside at night. This is real. There's something out there. All right, to Princeton University in New Jersey we go. And uh, to Hector or Tito Armstrong, uh, Hector, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Art. How are you? Uh, just fine. What, what would you prefer to be called, uh, Hector or Tito? Um, actually, um, I'll go by my nickname, which is Tito. Tito. All right, yeah. Tito. Welcome to the program. Uh, you are from uh, Puerto Rico, right? Yes, that's correct. Um, so let's begin this way. What the hell is this thing, and what does it look like? Um, yeah. uh, it, can you describe it as best you can? Um, without being able to show people a picture. If you just close your eyes and describe it, what does this creature look like? Okay, well, according to most um, eyewitness accounts or most um, reports, this creature supposedly um, has the shape of a, uh, a small kangaroo, but uh, is, is sort of reptil reptilian in nature with two large um, red eyes. And um, so basically it, it would look like a cross between a small kangaroo and a small dinosaur um that's i think the best way to describe it and uh it has um allegedly um some spines growing out of its back um i was going to ask you about that it looks scaly on its back exactly yes um and then it it basically looks very like typically gray alien um in nature um with regards to its head and then the the body then looks sort of like kangarooish with a tail in the end. Can this thing fly? Um, allegedly, it can. I mean, the, there have been some reports that uh, it can fly, um, but I mean, obviously, due to the nature of this, that hasn't been confirmed in any in any way yet. Right. All right. Um, what in the? Uh, it began, I guess, in Puerto Rico, or at least the first reports were there. Mm -hmm. Then I began to hear reports about South America. Then I started to hear reports about Mexico, and in the last couple of days, suddenly Los Angeles, even Oregon, uh, the U.S. West Coast. Uh, how can this thing be spreading so quickly? Well, I mean, um, 
I think the the most logical thing to assume is that uh, this sort of thing has been going on already for a while, and it, it's only because of the exposure um, of the uh, chupacabra or or um, the name chupacabra in Puerto Rico. Then then people started um, to link the name to these sort of happenings that have been going on for a while. Well, now wait a minute. I'm not sure about that, Hector uh, or Tito. I'm sorry. We'll call you Tito. Tito, because uh, I watch the news very carefully for things like this, mm-hmm. and we have not been getting reports other than an occasional cattle mutilation okay. of chickens and goats uh, with the blood drained from their bodies and two marks on the outside and four marks on the inside. It's We've not been getting those reports. This is fairly recent. Okay, well, then that, that means that, that definitely something stranger is is going on. I mean, my explanation would would sound logical, but I guess that if if uh, we haven't been hearing about stuff like that, then um, this is even more mysterious than than we previously we previously had thought. Right. Which is very interesting indeed. It is, um, and it seems to be spreading quickly. If you had to make a guess, or maybe I'd ask you, Tito, what is the best guess about? Where this thing comes from? I would hesitate to hazard a guess, um, but basically the uh, consensus, um, if, if there is any, seems to be that this is uh, something that uh, that is not um, native to the Earth. I mean, however strange that sounds. Um, I think uh, regarding everything that's been going on, that's that's our best bet. And then if we go from there, then. Um, I mean that that we go from there, but this is definitely something that that hasn't been seen before, and everything about it, even um, its attacks, the way it it does this, um, samples that have been collected of the creature itself, point to something that that hasn't been seen, um, that is not native to the earth. Not native to the earth. Which I mean, by that I mean that that for example, the chemical composition of blood samples taken. Um, have been have not been able to be classified in, in any way, and um, even the way that this creature attacks um, animals hasn't been seen um, before. So that's basically what I mean by this. It, it is something totally new. Well, uh, the theories I get, uh, Tito, are that it it may have come through a veil, through an opening from another dimension. It may have come, it may be something new. Maybe it's something from one of our labs. You know, we're doing a lot of genetic uh-huh. tampering about these days. Uh-huh. So you think though that it comes from off world? Well, I mean, basically one one of the major theories is is of course uh, related to the alien theory, um, especially alien crossbreeding experiments. That's that's a pretty popular theory currently, and it it posits that uh, that this creature was created and then somehow either let loose or um, or some of the thing um, on in in Puerto Rico and elsewhere. I mean, and then this creature has become uh, a native species to the earth. Then you think it began in Puerto Rico? Um, I'm I'm really not so sure. I mean, I think. I mean, due to the, uh, like, like, the, the big, I mean, the, um, the, uh, very, like, the very big exposure it got in Puerto Rico and the, uh, the many animals that, that were, that were found, um, I'd, I'd have to hazard a guess that, that at least this type of creature, this type of chupacabra, of chupacabra did start in Puerto Rico. All right. 
well, here. what what seemed to begin as a, a taste for chicken and goats uh-huh. recently uh, seems to have turned to a taste for humans. There's reports now of human beings being attacked. Uh huh. And if I mean, if if one assumes that 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 this creature is a species uh, and it exhibits normal species characteristics, which uh, it means that it breeds or or it uh, I mean that that there's more than one, then I guess it would be inevitable for it to have more and more contact with human beings and then and and interaction or altercation is inevitable then um but i don't think that necessarily means that uh the chupacabra is ready to uh, or is starting to attack humans per se um but then again i mean i i would be on my guard just in case I mean, well i wouldn't want to meet one definitely what can you tell me about what happened in Puerto Rico? It's all been very sketchy. A gal who's on my Dreamland show, Linda Howe, has gone to Puerto Rico uh-huh. and looked for this creature. Now, I don't think I would do that. I don't want to hunt up this creature and hope it doesn't hunt me up. Uh-huh. But what ha- what has it done in Puerto Rico? What is documented? Well, basically, the, the, there have been documented cases of, uh, of basically animals being found drained of, of their blood in, in Puerto Rico, um, probably thousands of animals over over the past year. Um, thousands. Yeah, um, probably the the low thousands. Uh, there there hasn't been a, an official count, probably because the uh, government doesn't really take this um, very seriously. Um, they're basically keeping their distance, and it's basically been the uh, the local people who have taken it upon themselves to um, basically either be on their guard or uh, try to look for this thing, and they, they have organized a lot of searches for it, and they've come up with nothing so far. Look, sucking blood, mm-hmm. or sucking all the blood from a victim, is a either bat or vampire-like thing. Mm-hmm. And um, could this be a variation of a bat? Um, there, are, there are blood-sucking bats, right? Yes. It's uh it's it's totally possible um and uh due to the fact that a lot of people have reported that this thing flies then that that gives credence to that uh to that hypothesis um mm-hmm. however i mean the the way that that vi- that vampire bats work i mean they they since they're so small then um they only suck out uh, very little blood uh, out of their victims. They definitely don't drain them dry. That's a good point. And uh, especially since th- there's only been observed maybe two puncture marks in most of the uh, victims, right. most of the animal victims, then that either means that if it is a bat, it's a very big one, and it's uh, something totally good. new, and uh, which may exhibit the characteristics of a bat, but couldn't be called a bat per se. Um, but that that's the, that definitely enters into the whole, you know. How how big do you think this creature is? Um, people have said that this creature is uh, about maybe four feet tall, maybe smaller. Mm. Um, that's basically been the uh, consensus uh, out of the uh, many people who have seen this face to face. Um, if you, with all your interest in chupacabra. Uh, had an opportunity to go home to Puerto Rico or even here in the States and come face to face with one. Would you do it? Um, would I, do, I mean, if, if, yeah, I think I would do it. You would, huh? Yeah, uh, it's, it sounds like something very, you know, that, that I would, I would like to do, especially if, if, if there had been reports of, uh, of, the chupacabra or a chupacabra-like creature attacking humans that I definitely not consider it. But uh, I'll tell you one thing, uh, I wouldn't be alone. And I'll tell you another thing, I, I wouldn't be totally without any sort of 
a means of protection. Are you a religious person, Tito? Um, not, not really. Okay. There are many religious people who would say this is a manifestation of the devil on earth. And certainly some of what it does is pretty devilish. I would guess. To put it mildly. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Tito Armstrong in Princeton. Where are you, please? I am calling from outside of Maryland. Maryland. All right. Uh, speak up good and loud so we can hear you and go ahead. Yes, uh, I am calling. I have uh, some reference to uh, the Chupacabra incident, which you're referring to. All right. Uh, in 1983, uh, Marine... Uh, diving expedition into the deep ocean approximately 525 miles southeast of Miami located uh, some eggs, if you would call them that. Eggs? Yes. Chupacabra eggs? I don't know if they, it would be chupacabra. However, they were brought back and researched. Uh, the creature that was found was uh, winged when it came out, apparently due to the release of the pressure from being approximately 6,000 feet underwater. Uh, its wingspan totals approximately 2 meters. Are there photographs of this? Uh, there are. Do you have access to them? I do not. First That's time right. caller line, you're on the air with Tito Armstrong in Princeton. Hi. Uh, hi. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, you're talking about the Chupacabra? Yes, we are. Yeah, um, the uh, bite marks, you know, the two bite marks. Uh, has anyone uh, mentioned that that's uh, very similar to the uh, legendary vampire bite marks? Yes, but you know what, sir? Um, Linda Howe has been looking at this for some time, and there are two bite marks on the exterior of the skin, but when they do an autopsy, and Linda's had several done, they find inside four marks. Four marks? Four marks inside. Now, try and figure that one out. Hmm. What would go in with two and then multiply when it gets in? That's a good question. You know, the only thing is, you know, in the legend of vampires, I mean, we had no uh, autopsies done on supposed victims. That's a good point. So, yeah, I saw that. So I, I'm telling you this because I'm not the only... You know, there oh, no, 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 I know. Saw. And when I heard you talking about that Machupa Copper, it just, you know, wow. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. All right, how you doing? Okay. This is Mike from California. Yes, sir. Uh, want to call him for a uh, Chupacabra encounter. Yeah. Oh, yes. Had down in Puerto Rico. I was uh, currently in, uh, previously in the Navy, and we were stationed down there for reasons I don't need to uh, get into. And... There was a time when there was a lot of rain and there was a flood in Ponce, and we were walking down the road, and all of a sudden the chupacabra jumped out of the ground, and it jumped into the front of us. And we proceeded to circle the chupacabra, and it spun around in circles and started hissing at us and this and that and everything else. We didn't quite know what it was, and there were some Puerto Rican nationals around there uh, that saw us encounter this thing and ran over and told us to get away from it because it's a bloodsucker. Right. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello, Ms. Rell. Hi. Um, I had a kind of a folklore story from right. the uh, Philippines. It has to do kind of with the Chupacabra yes. type thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Over in the Philippines, they have what's called the Mononongal. You ever heard of it? No, I haven't. It's a uh, it's kind of a vampire-like creature where 
it at night leaves the lower half of its body in the room, flies out the window, mm-hmm. go around the land, taking young children. Right. Anyway, I heard about this down at language school in psychological operations for the Army, and uh, they talked about how the CIA back, I don't know, I think it was in the 70s, used to do, they used to grab people, uh, the rebels, they'd grab one of the guys and take them off and kill them, drain out his blood and leave him. That's kind of a psychological type thing. So I don't know how much truth there is to it, but it's kind of an interesting story. It's an interesting folklore, and as you said, there's always a... Well, I would like for all of this to stay folklore. Uh, the problem is, at the moment, it's not. Mm-hmm. That's true. And... Um... I don't want to see one of these things. I don't want to meet one of them. I wouldn't try to catch one. And if I saw one, you know, I'd run. Turn tail. <laughs> yeah, you've got a turn tail. Is right. All right. Thank you very much for the call. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Art. This is Deborah in Columbia, South Carolina. Hi, Deborah. I was thinking of, about your recent show on the Philadelphia experiment and the cloaking process. Yes. That the gentleman said he could reproduce. And it reminded me of the chupacabra uh, being able to appear and disappear. And I wonder if during these experiments they've maybe opened some kind of door and let something in they didn't know about. It's entirely possible. Well, thanks, Art. I sure enjoy your show. Thank you. Take care. Sure. Who knows? It is absolutely open to speculation at this point. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Oh, good morning, Art. This is uh, Don in Fort Dodge, Iowa. Yes, sir. Hey, I'm calling about the uh, chupacabra. Okay. And yeah, I see you brought the uh, topic of monster baiting again this morning. <laughs> well, could, as it relates could, to a goat. That could very well be the way to uh, tame the savage beast, but you could go blind. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, Linda Howe uh, would make good monster bait, actually. You want to know the truth. I don't know whether you've seen picture Linda Howe, but she'd make great monster bait. Low-cut blouse, send her into the swamp in Puerto Rico. That would be it. That's monster baiting material, all right. You betcha. All right. Good night, Art. Good night, sir. Four feet tall like a hidden chihuahua in Mexico City, Puerto Rico, Nicaragua. Hey, Chupacabra. Guess what, everybody? It is confirmed. I just spoke to the newsroom at KENS in San Antonio. It's confirmed. Maybe not. Wait till you hear this. Now, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor and not call the KENS television newsroom. But I just did on the advice of a listener because they confirmed it. Here is the first report I got. Hello, Art. This is Derek in San Antonio. And I thought you'd want to know that KENS Television has obtained photographs of a chupacabra captured in a trap just south of San Antonio. A rancher took photos of the beast and brought them to us. He claims there were three, one in the trap and two others, jumping up and down as they ran when he approached. I will try my best to describe the photos for you. The creature is about as long as a human leg, pasty white, has ridges on its back like a dragon, it has two front legs and two rear legs, and at the end of each, two tiny offshoots that I would not call fingers. But I wouldn't call them paws either. Almost claw 
looking. You can see teeth on the thing, which is draped across the ground in an arc. The farmer says some men saw him showing the creature and took it, saying they would have it stuffed. He claims to know where the body is, and we are investigating. I'll be happy to send you a copy of our story, if you'd like it, or send you a video of the Polaroid pictures. Contact me at He gives me a number. I thought you'd like this information. Well, I read that, as I do many things I get. Then I got this. Art, I just got off the phone with someone at the KENS television station, and she confirmed the story. She said the creature has been taken to Austin, so they have it, for further analysis. They have the video, but they cannot yet release it. The phone number for the newsroom is blah, 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 if you want to call them. And I did during the news break. She confirms it. And that's all I can tell you at this hour. They have a chupacabra. From the high desert in the great American Southwest, I bid you all good evening or good morning as the case may be, and welcome to the best in live overnight talk radio from the Tahitian Hawaiian Island chains in the west, eastward to the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands, south into South America, north well to the pole and worldwide on the Internet. This is Coast to Coast AM. Hello, everybody. Lots of stuff going on. I'm going to interview a man that was on Dreamland and was interviewed by Linda Moulton yesterday. And it is a most remarkable, hair-raising story. Uh, this man was a military officer uh, down about 40 feet in a launch uh, cubicle. We'll find out what they're really called here. At any rate, um, he's got a story to tell that is absolutely amazing. You know... Um, the armed services have always said, the U.S. government has said, in fact, after Project Blue Book, and um, after just about, uh, well, I don't know how many years of investigation of UFOs, there, the uh, official statement has always been that UFOs represent uh, no threat to uh, United States national security. I'm not so sure that is a true statement, and we will explore it shortly. Now... To Robert uh, Asalas. Uh, Robert, are you there? Uh, yes, I am. Okay. Robert, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Uh, yes, you are, Art. All right. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm happy to have you. Robert, um, are you, um, you were in what service? The Air Force? I was in the Air Force uh, up until 1971. Until 71. I had a voluntary separation, uh, uh, resigned, and, uh, and uh, so I... I'm not, I haven't been in the Air Force since 19. Okay, you were an Air Force, uh, what, officer? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, what rank were you, Lieutenant? Uh, yeah, I was Lieutenant 1967. I was, uh, when I re resigned, I was a captain. All right. Um, what years were you stationed, uh, at, at Maelstrom? I was there, uh, from about August of 1966 until, uh, June of 1969. Okay, so you were there about three years. Right. Mm -hmm. um, what did you What did you do there? What's at Malmstrom? Well, Malmstrom has uh, uh, strategic missiles. Uh, they they're responsible. Well, they did in, in, at that time. I'm I'm just not sure what. Uh, okay, well, forget what what's have. there now. Let's talk about what no. was there then. 
Right. Uh, basically, the Minuteman missile system, uh, and uh, and uh, that was uh, that was the primary uh, uh, mission of, of, of Maelstrom Air Force Base to uh, maintain and and uh, monitor those uh, weapon systems. All right. Um, what can you tell us about the Minuteman? Um, I know of the Minuteman, but I don't know the details. What is the Minuteman capable of doing? Well, it, it, it again, this is back in 1967, because I uh, certainly don't know anything about the current weapon systems. Sure, sure. Uh, but uh, back then, the Minuteman 1 uh, missile system uh, was an intercontinental ballistic missile, uh, uh, of course, nuclear warhead, and uh, it, it could have reached... Uh, Targets uh, that you know were uh, well. I, you know, I, again, I don't want to even talk about the range of uh, of the missiles. All right, but to say ICBM missiles, right? To say ICBM is right. To say ICBM is to say that uh, uh, it could reach another continent, intercontinental ballistic right. missile. So, right, could have made it to the other side. Right. Uh, these are the big bad ones. Yes, and um, you. You were stationed. What do you call the area down the ground? Do you, is it a bunker? Yeah, what it's, is it? Uh, it's called the launch control. Well, the launch control center is the capsule that you were referring to that was uh, located in it, and it's about sixty to eighty feet underground. Mm. Um, How many people uh, man those things? Uh, two, two officers. Two, That's two officers. That's what we always uh, see in movies. Right. Right. Uh, that's that's what it was then, and, that, and that's in the Minuteman system. Uh, the other uh, weapon systems that we had, the Atlas, the uh, uh, I guess the Atlas. I'm, uh, I'm not sure what the other ones were, but uh, they, they may have had more than two. But uh, we we only had two down there. All right. Uh, is it the old picture? Is it like in the movies, uh, Robert, where you wear a gun, the other guy wears a gun? You've got to put in keys simultaneously and turn them. I mean, is the movie depiction of the way it is roughly correct? Uh, again, we're talking back uh, 1967 period time. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, we wore weapons down there, and uh, we had we had keys, and uh, mm. and uh, you know, all all of this, uh, I, I believe, is is public information. Uh, Correct. I've, I've seen uh, photographs of what the LCFs or LCCs look look like down there. Then and, uh, they're they're very accurate. Right. I'm I'm going to try and ask you about you, you know if I refer to Hollywood, then you can either tell me something is right or wrong. I certainly don't want to ask you anything and be very careful. Don't say anything that uh, right. that you ought not say. Right. Um, I am curious, and I've got to ask before we get on to the body of the story here. I was always captivated, I guess is the right word, by the amount of responsibility that somebody like yourself would have had down in a launch uh, command center. And what were the psychological pressures like? Uh, is it that you are so trained that you would just automatically do what you're supposed to do, or do you constantly in your own mind, agonize over what you might have to do if your job description ever was called on? <laughs> well, I don't think we constantly agonized about it, uh, but it, it, it was a, 
dire responsibility, and we all understood what we had to do in, in the event we were given the order to uh, to launch our missiles because it, uh, uh, we understood why we had strategic weapons. We understood the, the necessity for them at the time. Um, and so we, we wouldn't have hesitated to launch uh, uh, if ordered to. Um, it, I don't believe there was a lot of stress involved with that. Uh, let me ask you a question, Robert. Are you on a portable phone? Yes. Uh, is there any chance we could get you on a regular one? Well, it's uh, kind of going, whoosh, 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 you know, as they do. Well, we have the radio on. I guess we could turn that off. Okay. Uh, that That's a good idea. That'll help. Marilyn, will you turn the radio off? Marilyn? Marilyn? <laughs> All right. right. Well, it's gone. All right. Very good. Um, so... So there you are, day after day. How long were you uh, stationed, so stationed that uh, every day, and, and for, for how many um, hours every day would you be down there? Uh, we're down there for a 24-hour tour. 24 hours? Right. So uh, we, we took turns uh, with rest, you know, sleeping. Uh, but we, we'd have to be uh, awake. One of us would have to be awake for a 24-hour period. Uh, but what the other could sleep, huh? Right. Uh-huh. All right. Again, uh, we are getting some interference, Robert, from your portable phone. It's making some noise or something. Maybe you could get a little closer to the base. Okay, fine. All right. Um, the event that we're talking about now occurred where in that three-year uh, period? Oh, uh, it occurred in March, uh, March 16th, actually, 1967. March 16th, 1967. Right. All right. What exactly happened? Were you in the middle of a shift, or where were you? Right. Uh, this was toward the end of our shift in the morning, uh, and I uh, got one one call first from uh, my topside guard, said he'd seen UFOs or, or lights, very strange lights up above uh, the launch control facility there, and uh, others had seen them, and they'd been watching them for a while. In other words, that was, uh, when they say above launch control, there would have been a perimeter to the base itself. And so this would have been within the perimeter of the base? No, we're not talking about on the, the Malmstrom Air Force Base. This is a launch control facility uh, uh, out away from the base. Uh-huh. But it's a... Uh, it's the facility where the uh, launch control center is located. All right, and there must have been some sort of fence or some sort of yes, something. there was a perimeter fence. Perimeter fence. And right. so they were calling you from the base or? They at... were calling me from right above me, actually. Right. Oh, right above you? Yes. All right, so you're underground. They've got some guys uh, above you. Right. And they were seeing lights? They were seeing some very strange lights, and uh, they didn't believe they were airplanes. And uh, so he w- was just wanted to report that, and uh, and I didn't pay uh, give it much uh, attention. Although uh, he sounded very serious, he didn't sound like he was joking at all. And uh, but we hung up and. Uh, and then about five, ten minutes later, he called back, and this time he was very frightened. Uh, I could tell by his voice he was uh, very frightened, agitated. Uh, he said there was a, 
a UFO directly in front of uh, the, the gate, the main gate of this uh, facility upstairs. That would get your attention. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was hovering there. It was uh, glowing red. Uh, uh, he later told me it was somewhat disc-shaped, but uh, he had a hard time getting a definite outline of the, of the object, uh, but it it was very frightening. Uh, one of the guards, either in approach, approaching it or uh, trying to get away from it, was injured. Oh. Uh, and had to be helicoptered out. Uh, oh. Uh, and in, in, uh, injured in in what way? Uh, just. I, I I you know I'm I'm having a difficult time remembering exactly what his injury was, but it was. It was relatively a minor injury. It was either a slight burn or a cut or something like that. But uh, I guess it was serious enough where they had to get him back to the base hospital. Do you so, know how he got that injury? In other words, as a direct result of this object, or did he bump into something? No, I. Uh, it, it's kind of strange. Uh, when when we were relieved later that morning, and I went up to talk to him, uh, the the man that had been injured had already left and. And our helicopter was waiting for us to take us back because they wanted to debrief us right away. So I, I had uh, I didn't have very much time to talk to this guard about any details of this injury. All right. So anyway, somebody was injured. The object was so there hovering. Somebody was injured. The object was up there hovering, and uh, the the guard that had called me had to hang up and tend to this man that had been injured. So when he hung up, I I woke up my commander. I was the deputy, and I uh, woke him up and uh, started talking about these phone calls. And all of a sudden, our missiles started shutting down. Uh, <laughs> Your missiles started shutting down. That's right. In other words, they they went uh, no go or off alert, and they could not be launched. Um, and uh, what does that mean? Does that mean that the system? has detected that there is some sort of malfunction in the missile uh, or in the, um, the mechanism that would uh, uh, launch it, uh, something faulty, and so it begins an auto shutdown? That's correct. That's basically it. Uh, there's, uh, there was some uh, problem within the system so that the missile could not be properly launched. Um, and so the, the system uh, warned us and, uh, that that the missile had gone off alert and, and not launchable. And uh, this happened to at least, uh, my original recollection was that uh, we lost just about all of them. But uh, I, I recently contacted my commander, the fellow that was in command, uh, with me down there in the capsule, and uh, he seemed to think we had lost five or so. And uh, I seem to remember it was more than that. Did they it was go, somewhere between five and ten missiles that we lost. That, all right. Did that they day. did they go offline simultaneously, one after the other, over what kind of period of time? Can you? Yeah, in a very short period of time. They they, they uh, uh, started shutting down sequentially, not 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 numerically sequentially, but one right after another. Wow. Um, and uh, how reliable? Generally, are those missiles? I mean, in, in the in the rest of the time that you were there, how frequently would a missile shut down? That was a very, very unusual occurrence that any missile would shut down uh, 
and go into a no-go condition uh, for uh, uh, other than a power loss. And even in the power loss, we had automatic generators that, uh, at the launch facilities that would pick up the power right away, and usually they'd come right back up. So, but uh, more than one going down was unheard of. We it just didn't happen. We I, I never had that happen before since uh, in the three years I was there. So five go, five going down. There's no well, way that was a coincidence. No, that's. Uh, that was extremely improbable, unusual. Uh, the system was is designed so that uh, a fault uh, that affects one site does not uh, infect another site, so to speak. Uh, sure. They, they were not connected in that way. No, that would make absolute sense. Right. Uh, your commander, when this began to occur, what was his demeanor like? Well, we were all shook up. I mean, we were both shook up. Uh, uh, we were shocked. <laughs> All right. I, I want you to hold on for a second. Are you having arthritis pain? Well, millions of Americans do, and the New York Times reported groundbreaking research showing three, two, glucosamine and chondroitin sulfate actually help your body regrow cartilage. In the product we've got here, called arthritis cysts. There is also gelatin, and gelatin's full of the same type of protein found in cartilage. As we get older, our cartilage begins to get brittle. And when two bones rub together with nothing in between, you get arthritis. So stop the pain now, because we've also got for you, when you order a 90-day supply of arthritis assist, the long-term solution. You get a pain relief cream that gives you immediate relief. The number to call is 1-800-232-5665. That's 1-800-232-5665. I want to talk to you for a second about wireless com. They've already completed two cities of something brand new called prepaid cellular. What is that? Prepaid cellular simply is... Cellular service for people who can't get it any other way. Bad credit, no credit, doesn't make any difference. There's no way you're going to get a cellular phone. No way. Too many people have ripped them off. So any sense of bad credit, you don't get a cellular phone. That goes for no credit. Now, for you, it's an investment opportunity. $8,400 required, minimum. And you'll have to do some pre-qualifying, which means they will just determine you can, you know, capable of investing that kind of money. But otherwise... All we're asking now is that you consider the worth of the idea, make a call, get a free investment kit and video cassette, outlines the entire deal, could provide a yearly income for the rest of your life. Call now, 1-800-444-1050. That's 1-800-444-1050. Robert Salas is my guest, and I would imagine by now we've got your attention. Uh, do you remember reading about any of this uh, in any newspapers back then? Uh, me either. Interesting. Stay right where you are. We'll let the rest of this story unwind. This is CBC. All right. Back now to Washington and uh, uh, Robert Salas. Uh, Robert, are you there? Yes. 
All right. Um, so here are your missiles. Five of your missiles were shutting down. At least. And uh, at least. And your commander um, was. I, I guess you guys are trained not to panic, right? <laughs> well, well, we, we didn't really panic. We we went ahead and followed our procedures, which was to report the incident. Uh, we uh, uh, asked that maintenance crews come out and uh, get the missiles back up. Uh, we also uh, sent out a, a security team to the sites to uh, to check and see what was going on out there. Uh, as a matter of fact, while one of our security teams was out at one of the launch sites, uh, they also reported back uh, seeing a UFO. Uh, now, wait a minute. This was at another launch site? Well, uh, I'll get to that, but uh, this was uh, within our, our own launch complex, like I said, we, we uh, dispatched a, a team, a security team, to go out to uh, the sites. And while one of them was out there, and uh, we got a report back from them that they had observed a, a UFO uh, over one of our launch facilities. Mm. Now, uh, again, um, soon after our, our missiles shut down, we... We received uh, a call from another uh, launch, facility, launch control facility, and this was Echo Flight. I was in, I uh, believe it was November Flight. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but the Echo Flight uh, crew called, and uh, or we called them, uh, I, I don't remember which, but uh, uh, they told us that the same thing happened at their flight. In other words, they, except they, they did lose all ten of their missiles. Now, we've, we've got this confirmed, uh, we've got this, uh, in writing, uh, from the Air Force, uh, we, under a Freedom of Information Act uh, request that we processed, uh, uh, we were able to retrieve a, uh, what's called a unit history, mm-hmm. um, which outlined the, uh, the loss of the 10 missiles at Echo Flight. Robert, who, who filed this? Uh, friend of mine. Friend of yours? Yes. Um. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> this, I take it, never made uh, headlines anywhere. Of course, it would have made front no. page headlines all over the country. No, had it, it, this was classified. It was classified for a long time. As a matter of fact, uh, it was only declassified when we requested uh, uh, information about uh, a possibility of missile shutting down. We didn't even mention UFOs. Uh, we, uh, in our request, uh, we mentioned, um, it, you know, if to send us information about any times that uh, they've had uh, major shutdowns of, uh, of these weapon systems. So in this 1967 time period, and uh, this is what we got back, and uh, and uh, the incident, the Echo Flight incident, was declassified. In in time, how close was the Echo Flight incident to what you experienced? They both happened the same morning. The same morning. Yes. Um, after this was all over, um, and you got to debriefing. Yes. What what did they uh, what did they tell you? In other words, uh, did they say, "Look here, uh, keep your mouth shut"? Or the equivalent thereof, or what did they say? Yes, it was classified. The uh, uh, 
the by the way the uh, when we debriefed to our commander uh he was just as shocked as we are at, we were at the uh, at the incident uh, so i know it was not a, a an exercise of any kind uh, uh we lost uh, to alert at least uh uh 15 weapons uh and that would not have uh, and that would not have been an exercise i mean we would not have have deliberately uh, been unable to launch uh, ten of our nuclear uh, missiles uh, just for some exercise. So, um, and we were never, we never, we were never uh, briefed or debriefed actually on on anything that happened after that regarding this incident. But yes, it was classified. Uh, so the great cone of silence descended uh, after your debriefing. Yes. And you were told you simply could never talk about it or... Right. Um, the United States has always maintained that uh, UFOs are no threat to national security. Uh, simple as that. As a matter of fact, that's how they closed out Project Blue Book with right. that statement. Right. Uh, you know, whatever they are, they're not a threat to national security. Right. That was a lie. That was a lie. Yeah, uh, the Air Force made that statement in uh, 1969, I believe. Uh, mm -hmm. Matter of fact, they've got a copy of a letter or a statement that was made to that in that regard. And, and even in 1991, uh, we have a cover letter from uh, the Air Force that says uh, that that is still the policy or still the uh, position position of the Air Force, uh, even in 1991. Now, you've had a lot of time, obviously, since uh, this occurred to reflect on this. Uh, a UFO, 15 missiles shutting down, ICBMs. Um, any, any thoughts on what the message was, if there was one? Well, uh, yes. I, to me, the, the message seemed clear that uh, uh, basically... Uh, Stay away from nuclear weapons, or or at least <clears throat> try to get rid of your nuclear weapons. Uh, mm. um, that, that seemed to be the message because that that was the only uh, direct impact from these sightings. Uh, they sh they shut these missiles down, and uh, and that was about it. I mean, uh, All right. Well, I'm going to raise there on the back of your neck right now because in a in a similar time frame. About two years ago, 2020 ran a story on a Russian ICBM missile silo, uh, an incident in which a UFO hovered over that facility and put uh, some of their uh, missiles into launch mode. It actually began to go into launch mode all by itself. And after the incident, it did not, it ended up uh, not launching. The Russians had the whole, you know, all the consoles torn apart. They tore apart the entire um, facility and never found anything that was wrong. But this, this thing went in, into launch sequence. Now, the time frame, if not exactly the same, was very similar. And uh, it's blood-curdling enough to think about our missiles shutting down. But it's even a little more worrisome to worry about our shutting down while theirs go into launch sequence. Uh, yes, that is uh, that is pretty frightening. Uh, in, in addition, I believe there were sightings in 
South Dakota. Um, I got a call. Around the same time period. Yep. I got a call ten minutes before the program tonight from a man in South Dakota who said, you know, he was worried that he couldn't talk about this either. He said in South Dakota, and I'm, I don't know exactly, I've never really personally seen a blast door, but he said they're gigantic and very heavy. They yeah. weigh tons. Yeah. And he said one was missing, uh, just simply came up missing, and that's absolutely impossible. It's not something you throw into the back of a pickup and haul away. <laughs> right, right, right. But there's also a missile base in South Dakota, and uh, and uh, my understanding is that there uh, there were sightings uh, similar to ours, although I have not heard of uh, uh, an incident such as ours uh, occurring there. Have you corresponded uh, with um, your commander at the time or anybody else? Uh, yes, about? I've corresponded with my my commander at the time and also the commander and the deputy commander of the Echo Flight. Uh, so, what are, uh, what are their reflections about it? I mean, do they feel about the way you do? Well, uh, I think uh, I, I think one of them does uh, feel the same way I do about uh, getting this out there in, in the public and uh, and making an appeal to the Air Force to uh, to come clean on this thing. Um, uh, the others. Uh, I think we're career Air Force people and, and may be a little shy about talking about it, but they, they weren't shy with me and, uh, we discussed all of these things. We, we, and all of what I'm telling you really is a, is a composite of what we all agreed, uh, occurred, uh, on that day. Well, the, this is something the American people certainly should know about. Uh, we still have missiles. They are aimed, I don't know where, maybe in the water temporarily or something, but the fact of the matter is we still have them, and uh, so do the Russians. Um, and I, I think that until they're all destroyed, and that, that day may never come, uh, we will always have this hanging over us, maybe to a lesser degree, but it will always be hanging over us, and that something like this could happen in our own... Well, you know what? I understand frankly, that they would not have told the American people about this. How do you feel about that, uh, at least at the time? Uh, how did I feel at the time, or how do I feel now? Well, now. In other words, when you look back at the moment that it occurred, uh, would you have seen that information released to the public? And if it had been, what do you think the reaction would have been? Well, uh... I certainly didn't quite understand when we were, were told not to even discuss this with our spouses. Uh, why? I mean, uh, this was just what we were told. We were, we went ahead and followed orders, and, uh, and we we didn't. We hardly even talked about it among ourselves. Well, the uh, public, the public's reaction aside, uh, Robert, imagine uh, that our people, our national security people, our military, our Pentagon would not exactly like the Russians to know that our missiles were getting shut down. No. Right. So I can understand why they would not make it public. Right. Right. Now, a lot of years have gone by. Mm -hmm. uh, but you, you've got to wonder if that sort of thing 
is still going on today. Right. Well, the point is, uh, if, if the point is, the public needs to be involved in the debate as to uh, what we ought to do about this. In other words, if we have been visited by these objects from uh, uh, not from this planet, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the public ought to be able to enter into the debate as to exactly what we ought to do about it. Uh, it should not be in the hands of uh, a small group of uh, military intelligentsia or, or whoever uh, has this information, and, uh, and they can do pretty much what they want about it, whatever it is. Um, if, if this is a threat to our, you know, to all of us, uh, we ought to know about it and be able to debate it and talk about it. I could not agree more. I could not agree more. Uh, Certainly we ought to have a public debate. At least we ought to know if they really are visiting us. I would like to know. I'm sure a lot of other people out there would like to know. And if they have the ability to, in effect, shut down our ICBMs to convey a message that you ought not be doing this sort of thing, if that's what the message was, then, yes, the public ought to know about it, and they ought to be able to chew it over a little bit and see what they decide. What are you going to do? You, you've gone, uh, you've done an interview with Linda, now you've done one with me. How are you going to proceed in trying to get this public? Well, I've, I've also done one with sightings. Sightings? Yeah, and that should be, uh, be aired, uh, uh, probably around the first part of next year. Ah. Um, so we're out ahead of sightings. Good. <laughs> Listen, uh, the documents that you got back uh, from the Freedom of Information request that you made, right? Um, are those available? Uh, well, I've got the documents. Uh, uh, I could send you a copy. I would appreciate that. Uh, I because a lot of people are going to want to see it. Put it up on the web. Let everybody take a look. Uh, that would be one good way to proceed. In other words, that is uh, good documentary evidence yes. that this occurred. Yeah, let me read you just one part of uh, of the document uh, sure. that Go I ahead. received. And this is the only mention of UFOs. It says, rumors of unidentified flying objects around the area of echo flight during the time of fault were disproven. A mobile strike team, which uh, had checked all November flights, LFs, on the morning of 16 March, were questioned and stated that no unusual activity or sightings were observed. Really? Yeah, this is the uh, just one paragraph, uh, the only paragraph that mentions anything about UFOs in this uh, unit history. That, uh, that well, how do you how do you account for that? Uh, in other words, people did see them. Absolutely, and so this is just a plain indication that the Air Force was covering this whole thing up. Even even in it, and this document was classified. And even in this classified document, they were uh, covering up the fact that many, many airmen saw these UFOs. And these UFOs were reported to us, uh, officers in the, in the capsules. And uh, we reported them to our, our commanders, and at, at no time were were our stories disproven in any way. So, uh, uh, <laughs> what else can I say? <laughs> yeah. um, all right, another avenue of um, underlining what you've said here would be to get some of the others 
to come forward. Yes, and uh, I'd like to make an appeal to anybody that's listening that might have been uh, present uh, and saw these UFOs uh, uh, during this time period, uh, uh, during this incident, uh, if they could uh, contact me or or through you, uh, I'd right. like to hear from them. All right, what about your commander and some of the others uh, at Echo Flight, for example? Uh, have you uh, spoken with them? Are they willing to come forward? Well, um, I'm going to leave that up to them. Uh, I gave that information uh, on how to contact them uh, to Linda, and uh, so uh, I'll just leave it up to them if they want to come forward on this or not. So Linda's going to go ahead and contact them and uh, see I, if they wish to. I assume she is. Uh-huh. Can you imagine that this is still going on? In other words, do you think this was just an isolated incident? Or in your imagination, do you imagine this has gone on for years? Uh, frankly, I think it has gone on for years. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, even around the, the Malmstrom or Great Falls area, there, there have been quite a few sightings. Uh, uh, even after hours, I think in 1975, there was another flap of sightings. Um, so, uh, yes, I think this has happened uh, uh, since since our incident. All right. One thing I never asked you was the technical follow-up. In other words, I'm sure after this incident, they, they did as the Russians did and probably ripped things apart looking for what could be wrong. Yes. What did they find? Uh, they found nothing. They could not determine a definitive cause for these shutdowns. Uh, I talked to uh, a couple of the Boeing engineers uh, that that did investigate this incident, and uh, and they told me they did all kinds of electrical checks and tests and uh, uh, electromagnetic tests, and uh, they checked out the uh, uh, guidance and control computers at the launch control facilities. Uh, anything that might have uh, had an impact. Uh, in shutting these things down or, or, you know, in terms of connectivity, uh, they checked out and, and they could not determine a definitive cause. So as far as they're concerned, and, and they were the ones that were investigating this thing, they were at least part of the team that was investigating this, uh, they could not determine a cause. Well, anyway, the bottom line is clearly... Uh, there was or is a threat to national security from UFOs, and uh, it's time that we got the truth. Yes, it is. All I right. Agree. Uh, Robert, I really, really want to thank you for coming on. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm glad we were able to tell the story. And if you could uh, send me a copy of that Freedom of Information response, I will definitely get it up on the website for all to see. Very good. All right, my friend, thank you. You're welcome. And good night. That's uh, Robert uh, Salas. And uh, you just heard a man who lived down in the command launch center near Malster and had um, at least five of his intercontinental ballistic missiles shut down by an object that hovered right over the facility. And then uh, another at least ten missiles, or all the missiles, at what was called E-Flight. Now, that is quite a remarkable revelation when you sit and think about it.
Not a threat to national security, huh? <laughs> My foot. Stay tuned for more of the best of Art Bell right after a word from your local sponsors. Once again, here I am, and we are going to do a follow-up to what we just did. Now, for the last hour, for those of you that have missed it, uh, we have talked with Robert Sullis up in the uh, Seattle area, who many years ago, on actually, uh, I believe it was uh, March 16th, 1967, was sitting down in a launch control facility for a Minuteman site near Maelstrom. A UFO hovered over that launch facility and began shutting down um, intercontinental ballistic missiles, at least five, where my guest was. He was an officer there, typical sidearm, that sort of thing. Uh, shut down five of our ICBMs. Then that uh, another UFO, apparently, or the same one, who knows, in roughly the same time period, hovered over Echo uh, Flight, another launch facility, and shut down all of their missiles, all of them, ten ICBMs shut down. Now, in a moment, uh, I've received a fax from a man, we'll let you, uh, let him give uh, his name to you, if he so desires, uh, who works for Boeing, uh, for the Material Improvement Project, whatever that is, I guess we're going to find out uh, here shortly, and uh, he was responsible for dispatching the team to Echo Company to check all of this out. And so, in a moment, that gentleman. Now, to, um, again, the Seattle area, which happens to be where Boeing is, and it happens to be where my present guest is. Um, can we give your name? Uh, certainly. All right, it's Bob Kaminsky, right? That's correct. That's K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I? Yes, correct. All right, Bob, very good. Um, do you presently work for Boeing? No, I am retired now. Retired. But that did happen back in the mid-60s. It did, huh? Yes, it did. And uh, what had what were you told or what were you doing? Where were you working when it occurred? Well, it was my job to uh, be one of the interface engineers with the Ogden Air Materiel Command of the Air Force, and we took uh, engineering problems that they would have with the Miniman sites. Okay. And uh, then we would do investigations, um, uh, do engineering, whatever is required to help them out of a particular problem they might have been having. In other words, you were the techno geeks. Right. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, how frequently, uh, Bob, did you guys get a call saying 10 ICBMs just shut down with a UFO hovering over them? Art, to my knowledge, that happened only once to us. Now, it happened other places, according to what Bob Salas is saying. But the only project that I know that I was handed was one of them, and it was on Echo Flight Echo because Flight. it was the one that had ten missiles go down. What are the odds of ten missiles? Impossible. Uh, impossible? It's absolutely impossible. Even if the power leading to the sites go down, um, these, these um, sites are so complex uh, in their design and electronics and they're so uh, duplicated in circuitry and intertized inter to other sites and other launch control facilities, mm -hmm. it's virtually impossible to shut down 10 sites. That's what I would think. All right, so you were responsible then for dispatching a team to Echo Company to go and find out what the hell happened? Exactly. 
I was hand <clears throat> at the time I was handed it. I, I was not told that there was UFO involvement. I was just told, hey, we have a strange occurrence. Ten missiles went down. It's your job to organize a team and send them out there immediately and have them investigate, crawl over the place, look at everything, check out every possibility, and come back and write a report. Hmm. Well, we sent out glaciologists. We sent out engineers, electronics people, technicians. We sent them out there to check everything out. And? They found nothing. The only thing they could find that would even come close to explaining any kind of a uh, of a uh, uh, abnormality was the power line leading into one of the transformers and the commercial line um, outside of the site. It wasn't even inside the site. Right. And they found that there was a transformer that was slowly um, uh, degrading, and they thought it might be setting up some kind of a... Um, Spike or something. Uh, yeah, right. Several of them, of course. And uh, But... When they came back, we had our meetings and asked them, what happened? And the total amount of information was zero. Zero. We had no explanation. Then, Art, mysteriously, I got a call from our representative, the Boeing representative who I worked with through the Ogden Air Material Area down in Ogden, mm -hmm. and that's where he was stationed. Right. He was the one that sent the projects up and told us what to do. Right. He called me and says, Bob, stop everything you're doing. I says, stop everything. What do you mean? He says, just stop it. I said, just don't do any more. I says, well, do we have to submit a final report? He says, no, no final report. Now, this is very strange because every time you spend government money on okay. an engineering report, you have to send in a report of what you did. You bet. And, and they, in this they, case, they said, stop, no report. They said, stop. Do not submit a final report. And then he told me this is under the table. It's been rumored that there was a UFO over the launch control facility that knocked out those ten birds. Holy smokes. And with that, we were, we were just put on hold and put on stop. Now, I cover this, uh, Art, in a book I just released two months ago. Uh, this particular incident in the midst of a whole bunch of things. I sent you a copy. It's called Lying Wonders. Lying wonders. Lying wonders. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it has a uh, it has a Christian flavor to it. But I went to a lot of things, and I mentioned this report because I actually was involved in it. Well, you know, it sounds, Bob, as though you ought to talk to Robert Solis. It does indeed. And uh, I I can arrange that. I can arrange that for you. Okay, good. So uh, what I would like to do, if there's anything else you can think of that we ought to know, I guess I could ask you the same question I asked Robert. This is such an incredible uh, uh, revelation. Um, if the public had been told at the time, or let me redo that, why do you think at the time this was slam shut, classified, public wasn't told, and why do you think it's getting out now? Well, first of all, I think people are getting a little bolder now, and it's it's been past uh, uh, several years. Then I think it'd be classified. That's the first thing. But secondly, I think the uh, originally why it wasn't is people were afraid to talk about it because of scorn and laughter. And behind the scenes, there may have been a second layer, or another layer of uh, governmental management pulling the string. Well, I'm not laughing. I, there's nothing funny at all. Well, no, not today. No, it, it, everything's coming out today. But years ago, uh, people just wouldn't talk about it. You know, they, they just made fun about it. 
But uh, no, I actually went through this, and I, I didn't go out to the sites myself, but I was responsible for sending the team out. I understand. All right, I, I want to put you on hold because I want to get you together with uh, Robert Solis, all right? Okay, sure. All right, putting you on hold. Stay right there. Can you imagine that, folks? A total of 15 intercontinental ballistic missiles shutting down with objects hovering above them. What do you think the message might be? And if you put that together with the 2020 piece a couple of years ago, and I'll never, ever forget it, with a UFO hovering above a similar Russian facility, only there, they went into launch sequence. Somewhere there, there is a message. All right, uh, briefly, let me recap some of the stuff available on the Internet right now. A lot of it very new. Strange Universe did indeed run a short piece on me tonight. It had to do with Hale-Bopp and Hale-Bopp's alleged companion. Now, I don't want to tell you who's been calling me, and I can't tonight. But I can tell you that there is some very heavy stuff about to come down with respect to uh, Chuck Schrammick's sighting. And uh, Professor uh, Courtney Brown and others, and I cannot mention them tonight. But as this week progresses, you're going to begin to hear some really amazing things. And I'm going to have to leave it at that for now. On the website presently is um, the appearance on Strange Universe. Uh, is You can jump over to their page from our page. Find out when it's going to be in your area. Otherwise, consult a TV guide, and you'll catch me on TV tomorrow. It really was a very nice piece. I got to see it already. <laughs> very nice piece. Um, very enjoyable. I think you'll enjoy it. If you enjoy the show, you'll enjoy watching that. Uh, Crystal Gale. I went to see Crystal Gale Saturday night, and I want to thank Anne and the whole crew back in Nashville. Uh, it was a wonderful experience. Crystal Gale is a beautiful woman. You know her to be every bit, believe me, inside and out. Uh, somebody sent me a fax and said, how long is her hair? And uh, the answer is, about as long as she is. <laughs> Just about drags the floor, actually. That's very long hair. And uh, I don't frequently smile in photographs, but you will see me on the webpage with Crystal Gale, and you'll see a big smile on my face for good, obvious reason. So that photograph is up there. The Whitley Streber photograph is up there. And uh, Whitley sent this to me, very excited, said, Art, it's the real thing. You be the judge. It's on my web page now. Take a look. The MJ-12 badge that I absconded with from Dark Skies, or a photograph of it, scan of it, is up there. And there are now a couple of other photographs up there. These are photographs of um, the day we did the shoot. Now, these are my photographs, not those of Dark Skies. I await Dark Skies to send me the, you know, the promo photos that I'm sure they're going to have. In the meantime, these are some that uh, my wife took. And I think you'll see myself, General Twining, the man who played General Twining, in uniform, and uh, the man who played Hubert Humphrey. And uh, you will see a couple of photographs uh, of the day we did the Dark Skies shoot up there as well. So that is there. And, of course, Dark Skies, the appearance coming up on uh, December 14th. That's a Saturday night on NBC. 
So that's kind of a catch-up on what's available on the web page right now, and you might catch me tomorrow night if you get a chance on Strange Universe. In the meantime, O.J. Simpson uh, spent the second day on the stand. He ended his second grueling day on the witness stand in his civil trial Monday, fending off a barrage of accusations that he murdered his ex-wife and her friend, admitting that he had contemplated suicide. Daniel Petroselli, the lead attorney for the plaintiffs, contended that Simpson was planning to kill himself during the infamous Bronco Freeway chase. Quote, because you knew you were going to spend the rest of your life in jail, end quote. No, that's incorrect, replied Simpson, though he did admit he was contemplating killing himself. Earlier, Simpson testified he could not explain the blood found inside his Ford Bronco and at his estate or account for some of the cuts on his hand after the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman. Petroselli also attacked Simpson's alibi, accused him of failing a lie detector test. A federal judge has ordered accused CIA double agent Harold Nicholson held in jail pending trial on charges of conspiracy to spy for Russia. Despite testimonials from his mother, sister, brother, and a childhood friend, the judge denied a request for the one-time CIA station chief uh, for bail, so he's not going to get out, uh, and I would agree he certainly should not get out. The Space Shuttle Columbia used its long robotic arm to pluck a prototype satellite uh, a factory from space Monday night as a second satellite orbited nearby. The satellite retrieval occurred at 9.01 p.m. Eastern Time and came three hours earlier than originally scheduled. The co-pilot of the Ethiopian Airlines plane that crashed near the Camaro Islands was unable to identify two detained men as suspected hijackers. The hijacked airplane ditched in the sea, as you must know now, off the idyllic Holiday Islands Saturday after it ran out of fuel about 500 yards from the beach. We are having too many accidents, airline accidents. I just don't understand. Maybe you do. Winter weather causing havoc in Texas, other parts of the U.S., in Dallas and surrounding areas. Dozens of accidents reported. As commuters tried to go to work after snow and freezing rain created very hazardous driving conditions from Austin north all the way to the Oklahoma border. This is indeed a very, very strange and severe winter, and it has only just begun. Uh, so there you have it. Uh, we're going to discuss any number of other things, but that'll do it for now. I wonder how you feel about what you heard with regard to our missiles near Maelstrom. That's an absolutely incredible story, and uh, I wonder what you think the message was. Why would they simply shut down our missiles? Uh, was the message that uh, this kind of stuff has got to stop? Was the message that, look here, you are not as much in control as you think you were or are, was the message one little slip and the world is done for? That's it?
was the message, now you better begin talking to the other side, you better begin eliminating these weapons, or else, <laughs> what do you think the message was? Why do you think they would have done such a thing? Uh, moreover, not being precisely certain of the date that the incident occurred in Russia, I can imagine that they were um, fairly close. And uh, while it's bad enough to think about our missiles shutting down, it's even worse to contemplate Russian missiles beginning to light up and going into launch sequence at the same moment. Isn't it? All right, we're going to pause here at the bottom of the hour. When we come back, it'll be open lines throughout the nighttime. We've got some interviews planned for later in the week, and I'll tell you about those. Uh, Vince DiPietro, uh, for one, uh, on Friday night, Saturday morning. And I'll fill you in on the rest. This is CBC. CBC.